Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Again, coming to Bard's Logic, Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation, a part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find us on the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. So definitely check that out, folks, as well as the Bard's Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Check out the page with a list of all the different guests we've had on the show as well as uh, on the contact page in order to contact me, the host, or if you have any ideas for the show, uh, you could contact me for that as well. And as you look at the list, you'll see that our guest tonight, uh, Matt Bevan, uh, has been a guest on here before. So we uh, welcome him again tonight. And I believe we do have uh, Matt on the line. So I want to open his mic. Thank you very much, Matt, for coming back on the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Great to be on with you. It really is. Great. It's great to, to have you back. And uh, so we'll uh, get right to it. Um, first, uh, let's talk about some things I know folks are wanting to hear, you know, even though this was something uh, in the past and we won't spend a lot of time on it. Of course, the last time you were on the show, uh, it was to go up against Mitch McConnell uh, for the primary for the Senate. And I'm sure there's folks who may have some questions or interest on what your take on what happened there was, and then in the general election. So uh, I'd like to give you the opportunity for that. Sure. I mean, that was a race where, you know, for 30 years he'd been in office, and a lot of times folks, uh, when someone's been in office a long time, would like to see a challenge and something people have talked about for years, but nobody done. And I felt that, you know, one of the great things about America is competition. One of the great things about our form of government is that it is of and by and for the people. And Sometimes the election process is a is a wonderful thing, and so we gave it a shot. We came up short, uh, but we did quite well in the grand scheme of things, and most critically, 
I say well uh, because it created a lot of good dialogue. It elicited discussion and focus and attention on a race that otherwise uh, would not have gathered that. It inspired other people to jump into other races around the country. Uh, and all that was, uh, I think, healthy and good. And so in the end, the people spoke. That's the power of the ballot box. Uh, and uh, the race did not break our way. But I am uh, pleased with how it went down. i do it again in a minute. And I'm grateful for the fact that it, in- it got a lot of people encouraged. A lot of people were engaged who might not otherwise have been. And some of those people have continued to remain uh, close to the political process. And that's a good thing. It really is. Well, that's good. I would say the the power of the first two probably didn't help, and then the of course the uh, establishment uh, back in the candidate, I'm sure had uh, some influences there as well. Um, and I know that's a, a t- not, tough nut to crack. So as I said, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, so I do want to move forward. So uh, and you are running again uh, this time for governor. So why throw your hat back into the ring uh, for this um, seat? You know why why stay floating at all? Yeah, it's a good question, and a lot of people have asked that. You know, why would you jump back into a race? And in, in some people have expressed a surprise that I'm still interested in the political process and that I'm not burnt out on it. And what I tell folks is, for crying out loud, heck, I, I care more about it now than I did. And by it, I mean the future of this country. I care more about the fact that I, you know, I'm no less interested in my children's future than I was a year or two ago. And if anything more so. And so I looked at this race. I look at what ails us as a nation and as a state. And I realized that so many of the issues that your listeners care about, the expansive debt, the regulatory overreach, the explosive and bloated size of government, the encroachment on on our civil liberties, all these concerns that I have and that so many of your listeners have and that you have, I realize the solutions are not coming from the top down. The solutions are not coming from Washington. Just look at the last month or two out of Washington, and it reaffirms the fact that's not where the solutions are coming from. So if there are to be solutions, if there is to be a brighter future, where is it going to come from? It's got to come from the bottom up. And that bottom up is local, it's county, and it's statewide level politics. And here was, in this instance, Um, In our state, an off-year election, a gubernatorial election, ours is a state that has long been controlled by Democrats at the state house level. There are 31 Republicans. This is the only race this year that has the chance to pick up a Republican seat from a Democrat stronghold. And so we have the chance to be the 32nd Republican state in terms of our governorship. And so I decided to throw my hat in the ring because I do care about the future and I believe the solutions will come and must come from the bottom up. We need governors who understand the 10th Amendment. We need governors who understand that those powers not enumerated to the federal government are the responsibility of the states. And I'm willing to be such a governor and put my hat into the ring. And this is what has led me to this race. But uh, what, unfortunately, I, I wouldn't be able to uh, cast a ballot for you because I'm up here north uh, a little bit in Ohio, pretty close because uh, I'm on the southwest uh, part of the state. Uh, but unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to because I really, really liked what you had to say there. Um, and so, so what qualifications do you believe that you have that set you apart from the opponents? From your I mean, opponents? I, it's, it's a fair question. It's interesting. There are four uh, total candidates on the GOP side, 
And I'm reminded as I look at them, and they're good guys. They're, they're, they're all guys, and they all have bring varying degrees of qualifications. Um, a couple of them are, are you know, political uh, folks, have served in political office. Uh, actually, all three of them have been elected officials. So I'm the only one uh, who has not been an elected official. Heck, in the estimation of a lot of people, that may be qualification in and of itself. <laughs> I was uh, thinking I, that. I'm reminded, I'm reminded, actually, of a quote by Mark Twain, who once said that the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. And there's, I think, in this case and in this race, somewhat the same, that the difference between the right candidate and the almost right candidate may also be the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. And I, I truly believe that our ticket is one that offers a chance at lightning to the state of Kentucky. And what are my qualifications? I'm a guy who has made his own way. I'm the only one in the race that grew up below the poverty level, which is neither here nor there except for the fact that we have a lot of people in poverty in our state with ideas of how they're going to get from there to their way up the American dream and the ladder of success. I've been there. I've done it. I'm the only one that has made their way through that. So I bring that to the equation, which makes me a little bit different than the others. I'm the only one with a chance of winning this race of the four. There's three of us who have a chance to win. I'm the only one that's ever served in the military. I'm a former active duty army officer. And, and again, while that doesn't make a person as a candidate, there are 340,000 retired veterans, military veterans in the state of Kentucky. And it does matter to a significant number of our citizens. So I think that's another thing that gives me some you know, insight into this that others don't have. I'm a guy who, if you look at what ails Kentucky, perhaps more than anything, it is our pension crisis. We need jobs, as do people in a lot of states. But the thing that concerns folks is that we've got a pension that is so severely underfunded. We have multiple pension plans so severely underfunded that companies literally won't come here for fear that the bottom will drop out and they'll be the ones left holding the bag. And so we've got to address our pension crisis. I'm the only one in this race on either side that has ever worked in the pension business. I actually started a firm in Kentucky in my home initially that today manages more than $5 billion in pension assets, managing money for pension plans from FedEx to Caterpillar to the state of South Carolina and others. So I understand this crisis, and I understand how to come up with solutions in ways that others have not. And I've laid these things out. I've put out a very specific plan. I also was the last guy to get into this race and the first one to lay out specifics as to how I was going to resolve problems like addressing our unemployment issues and our unfunded pension liabilities and our need to rectify our health care situation and to improve our education and to decrease the bloated size of state government. I was the first one to put out a plan, and I called on the others. I said, you all have been in this race, some of you for over a year officially, others for two to three years unofficially. You want to be governor. Tell us what you're going to do. Give us some specifics. And so they have at least started to come out with some kind of a plan, but nobody's really addressing it. I'm the only one that's willing to go on the record specifically stating that I will dismantle the state-level health care exchange because we can't afford it. I've been unequivocal in the fact that I will lead the charge to repeal Common Core 
in the state of Kentucky. Others kind of waffle around the edges on these issues because they don't know which way to go and they're not sure what they even believe. So I think there are many things. I'm also the only one who's been a true regular job creator for for years and years. I own all or part of 10 different companies. I employ people who have GEDs and people who have PhDs. And I employ people even now dozens and dozens of in everything from metal stamping to medical devices to LED signs to investment management, composite materials to academic software. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm the only entrepreneur in this race, the only one who has taken multiple ideas from, you know, the conception of the idea to actual fruition. I've got a company here in Kentucky that last month we got FDA approval for this medical device that has the opportunity now to literally change the world of diagnostics related to Alzheimer's and other cognitive disorders. And we literally just got FDA approval, which is huge. So I bring Mm -hmm. all this to the equation in ways that others just don't do. Well, that's definitely an impressive uh, resume. And let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about your platform. Uh, Two things. One, is uh, you, what you just mentioned, and also there's others uh, that we have uh, spat out here, and folks can find that on your website. Uh, but let's also talk about the, which one you think is, is the most important, uh, and also about Connect and how that ties with Obamacare. Sure. Um, a couple things. There are, there are seven planks that we've laid out, and they're all economic in nature, because, frankly, the things that ail us in Kentucky are the things that ail a lot of our states, is that we've got to get our financial house in order. So as to which are the most important, I didn't rank them in set order, but I'll just the seven R and we can go into them in whatever detail you like, including the one that relates to Connect. The first that I said is we've got to enact pro-business legislation in this state. We've got to pass right-to-work legislation in Kentucky. We're the only state in the South that has not done it, and it's killing us. People are passing us by and going on to Tennessee and South Carolina and Georgia and Texas. We've got to pass right-to-work legislation, number one. Number two, we've got to modernize Kentucky's tax code. We are overtaxed. We have an antiquated system, and I've laid out very specific ideas as it relates to that. Number three, as we talked about a moment ago, we've got to resolve our pension crisis. We are severely underfunded. We're always in the bottom five, and actually, really, it's us in Illinois that are about the most severely underfunded of them all. Number four, we've got to reform our government here in Kentucky. We have more than 85,000 full-time equivalents. We are bloated. We have too much government. We can't afford it. Number, number five, we've got to modernize our education system. And it goes back to what I said. We've got to repeal Common Core. We've got to let the dollars follow the student. We have to re-empower the local school boards, the local teachers and principals, the local parents to take responsibility within their communities for education. This is what made our nation great. Common core, one size fits all coming down from above, not the solution. Number six, I've talked about our health care. We've got to improve health care. And I'll bring this around in a minute to your question about Connect. I'm stating on oh, Take your time. We got plenty of time. We need to repeal Connect. We've got to repeal the Connect program, which is our state health care exchange. We'll come back to that in a second and some other ideas on that. Number seven of the seven was that we've got to fight this federal government overreach. And we really do need governors who understand the 10th Amendment, who understand that our government at the state level has a level of sovereignty 
that very few governors are either aware of or willing to take advantage of, and that the Tenth Amendment clearly spells out that those powers not enumerated specifically to the federal government, which are finite in nature, are indeed then the responsibility of the states and of the people, and that those responsibilities are indefinite. And that's something that not enough states understand. So back to your question on the health care front, I have called for a repeal and a removal of our our state health care exchange. And the reason being is that our state health care exchange, which is called Connect, K-Y-N-E-C-T, Connect, a level of redundancy that we don't need and, frankly, that we can't afford. We were lulled into creating it because we were offered subsidies. We were offered free money from the federal government, hundreds of millions of dollars. But guess what? As your listeners well know, who is the federal government? We are. We're the federal government. So we're being bribed with our own money, money being removed from our back pocket, held out to us as some Mm -hmm. kind of free incentive to be slid into our front pocket after having been filtered through a level of bureaucracy (laughs) that has caused some dimes of that dollar to be left. And it's nonsense. So, But we went for it. Our governor thought this was great. Unilaterally set up this exchange. It was not passed legislatively. It is arguably unconstitutional per our Constitution, and it is being challenged in court right now. There are lawsuits, but in the meantime, it has been put in place. And unfortunately, we've got it. And yes, it is being subsidized by federal dollars right now, but those subsidies begin to roll back starting at the end of 2016. So starting in 2017, we know for a fact that it's going to cost Kentucky taxpayers somewhere in excess of $200 million a year, money we don't have in a state that's frankly broke and has unfunded liabilities out the wazoo. So why in the blazes would we continue to offer something when there is the same availability at health care at the federal level? And believe me, I have plenty of thoughts as to whether the government should be involved in this business. I think it should not. I have many thoughts as to whether or not there should even be a federal level exchange, and I don't think there should be. That said, there is currently a law. It is the law of the land as it stands right now that people are required to have this health care through an exchange. And my argument is that if that is the case, and it is, let them get it at the federal level exchange and remove the state level exchange, which costs us all this money for a level of redundancy. There's nothing we offer people at the state level that they can't get at the federal level. So why pay twice? Why should Kentucky be the suckers holding the bag to pay twice? Other states are winding it down. Many never signed up and made their own exchange. And many of those that have, like Oregon, like Nevada, like Arkansas, are either have already abandoned them or are in the process of doing so. And we should be no different. So I've called very specifically for that. Also on health care, there's other issues besides just this. We are a state that has very limited scope of practice laws for medical practitioners. So we very much restrict what a PA can do, a physician's assistant, for example, more so than other surrounding states. And that precludes people who could provide good health care coverage Two people in communities not served by an MD but could still have access to a PA if we would loosen some of these restrictions upon them. The same for nurse practitioners and others. We've got to be smarter as a state about this. The same for what is called certificate of need. 
we use this insane argument uh, number of healthcare facilities and services provided because the backward thinking, literally as spelled out by the department that oversees this, is that if you have too many providers, it will make the cost go up. That's insane. <laughs> it's the exact That's illogical. It's exactly. It's exactly backwards. That in reality, as we know, competition is good. Competition leads to lower prices and better quality of service as people sharpen their pencils and compete with each other. And so we need to loosen the certificate of need uh, rules in our state so that we don't have people have to prove the need. Right now they have to justify the need, and we reject people who otherwise would be providing health care to some of our more rural communities and even some that aren't rural. So these are some of the things that I call for. I've laid out this plan at mattbevin.com, M-A-T-T-B-E-V-I-N.com. People can look very specifically at these things that I lay out. I've been very specific on purpose because I do not need or want this job badly enough to mislead people in order to get it. I just don't. I would rather people know exactly what I believe, know exactly what I think, and reject it or accept it, but at least go into the voting booth with a well-informed opinion of who I am and what I believe and why I believe it, so that they and they should expect and demand as much from every other person putting themselves forward in this gubernatorial race. Yeah, I think that's actually a good segue to uh, the next question. Let's sort of talk about the federal government. Now, you really won't be dealing much with McConnell and Boehner that much as governor of Kentucky. Now, of course, you know, there will be some. Uh, but anyway, what are your thoughts about uh, Boehner and uh, McConnell and the job that they have done so far uh, since the election? You know, my, I, like many folks, I'm disappointed by a lot of what comes out of Washington. But my focus at this time and in this race is what can I do at the state level? Really and truly, what can I do as governor? That's what my focus is on right now, because you're right. There's there's only so much that I can do. But as I said earlier, what I do know is that not enough governors avail themselves of the power that they have, the autonomy that they have, the sovereignty that they have as a state and as the leader of that state. That, for example, when the EPA sends down these restrictive mandates and edicts, it is not legally incumbent upon a state to comply. It is not. And the idea that people do over and over again because they feel, oh, well, we're worried we might get sued, we're worried that we might get fined, who cares? That's the point of a bite of a divided government. This is why we have division of powers. These things then would be adjudicated. They'd be taken to court, and that's okay. Let people sue us if they don't like the fact that we're rejecting these edicts and mandates. If they are not legally required, let's ignore them. The real reason a lot of states apply these things when handed down by unelected regulators from Washington, D.C., the reason people often do it as governor is because they're bribed once again with federal dollars, just as they were to set up these state exchanges or just as they were to embrace Common Core or just as they often are to do things that are frankly undermining what is in their best interest, detrimental to what is best for their own citizens. They're bribed with federal dollars, which are their own dollars, for crying out loud, mm -hmm. to do the wrong thing. 
and I'm not a person that will do this. I will say thanks, but no thanks. You can keep your bribe money. You can keep your federal dollars, and you can keep your regulations and restrictions. And that if those things are not in the best interest of our state, we will not enforce them. And this is how I'll govern. I've made that very clear. And I know this for a fact. The Tenth Amendment is clearly written. It's clearly understood. There has been case precedent. There has been case law time and again that has challenged this. Four major cases have challenged this going back well over 100 years. And during that time, with each of these cases, the states have won. And I'm confident we would again. We just need to elect governors with the intestinal fortitude enough to stand on the Mm -hmm. legality that they have in the Constitution. And how do you think uh, the House as a whole, they're now being in control of the Republicans, how do you think they have been doing so far in reining in Obama? Well, I mean... I mean uh, that's what there were, people were wanting to elect him for, I presume. I mean, <laughs> it was a pretty sweeping mandate of people that were pretty upset with amnesty, for example. And there was it wasn't a coincidence that people swept Republicans in in, in record numbers into the House and Senate. Uh, certainly on the House side, and and now with a control on both sides of the of of the Congress. Then yet, when arguably in the past the excuse was that well we didn't have control and there's nothing we can do. Well now we do have control and apparently there's still nothing we can do and we still continue to fund these unconstitutional overreaches on the part of our government president specifically with these executive orders as it relates to amnesty for people that are here illegally, and that somehow, even though Congress and the House specifically controls the power of the purse, even though they have the ability through appropriation to fund or not fund anything, and even though we were in the process of spelling out a budget that would have allowed us to not fund certain things out of fear for being blamed for a potential shutdown, unfortunately, we've Mm -hmm. once again failed to do the will of the people. And it's unfortunate, but perhaps not surprising because this has happened time and time again. It doesn't seem to matter who's in charge. There's a lack of intestinal fortitude and willpower, and there's more concern about perception and what someone may say in the editorial comments of the New York Times than than representing the will of the people. And I'll tell you, if the people didn't want that, fair enough. Then you'd say that people are governing according to what the will of the people is. But the reality is the people don't want amnesty. The people of, of, of Kentucky and of America don't want people to be rewarded for illegal behavior and activity. And yet, unfortunately, these are the kind of decisions that are coming out of Washington. Because there's a handful of the biggest dogs, be they big labor, big business, big government, they collude. It's crony capitalism, as it's often called, but it's really an insult to capitalism because it's just plain straight-up cronyism. And the cronies continue mm-hmm. to scratch each other's backs, and sadly, it goes on, which goes back to why I'm running for governor, because the bottom line is solutions are not coming from Washington, and we see that. Your listeners see that. They understand it. They've got to come from mm-hmm. the bottom up. And we, the people, had better take ownership. And I challenge your listeners, you know, even if you don't live in Kentucky, take this seriously. Wake up. Everybody says, you know, Ronald Reagan said, it's morning in America. And while that may indeed be true then and may be still true now, my question to people is, are you going to get out of bed? Are you going to get out of bed no, and get up this very morning? Good. Because if you don't, if you don't, it doesn't matter if it's morning in America. 
It's incumbent upon those of us who see the forest for the trees, who see what is happening and most critically what is not happening. Who among us is going to stand up and step up and take one for the team? Who among us is willing to sacrifice in any way, shape, or form like those that preceded us? Because while we may want a brighter future, how do we even dare to assume we deserve one if we're not willing to make sacrifices like the generations that preceded us made so that we could have the opportunities that we have? We've got to get off our duff. We can complain all we want, but we, I mean, it's a time for action. And so my call to your listeners is to step up, man, woman, and child alike, step up, step forward, be part of the solution. Support candidates that are willing to put themselves out there, whether they're in your state or not. I'd be grateful. I'll tell you, if right. people went to our website, they could get engaged. We have the ability, people can make calls from anywhere. We have the ability for people to make calls to voters here in Kentucky to tell them about this race. This primary is coming up on May 19th, like seven weeks from now. Seven weeks from now is going to be this election. And we could use help. We really could. We could use financial help, too. If people are willing, you know, five bucks, ten bucks, fifty bucks, a thousand bucks. A thousand is the limit in this state, frankly. But whatever people could give, if anything I'm saying resonates with your listeners, I'd be grateful if they could come alongside us and help us out because this is bigger than just Kentucky. It's bigger than just Ohio. It's bigger than any one individual state. Collectively, we have got to get our house in order, and it's only going to come about if we elect men and women with the fiber enough to stand in the face of all of these overreaching, bloated governmental policies. So well said, and definitely uh, check out uh, the Patriot Journalist Network and, and Mark Prasik, who's the founder. Uh, there's times they do uh, Twitter bombs and things of that nature. I just go to www.patriotjournalist.com and uh, check that out. And uh, you know, send either a direct message uh, to Mark, or I can try to get a hold of uh, Mark tomorrow and see if there's anything perhaps they can do. And speaking of the Patriot Journalist Network, let's just take a few moments here, folks, uh, to hear from uh, the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, Check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. Definitely, folks, check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.PatriotJournalist.com. Uh, now, Matt, I do have one, just one last question for you before I uh, bring in some callers and our panelists, and that, uh, as you know, the neighboring states, uh, in Indiana, I'm speaking specifically of, are proposing the Freedom of Religion Bill. Uh, so if you could tell us what are your thoughts on the bill, and do you believe, uh, has the media blown it out proportion to one? And what are your thoughts on the Indiana's governor, uh, Mike Pence, backpedaling on it? Number one, my thought on the bill is I think it was quite appropriate. I think in some measure it was literally a state reiteration of, of, of a bill that's already been federal law for many, many years now. Uh, number two, I do think that the media has blown away out of proportion, which they often do. And number three, with respect to Governor Pence walking it back, 
I think he just got caught in the crosshairs and he's buckled a little bit to this blowing out of proportion. I think he'd have been done just as well to just say, listen, you all are blowing it out of proportion. You're misunderstanding the whole purpose of this. You're not actually fairly representing it or reporting it. And I don't see any reason to apologize for the fact that it is nothing more than a reaffirmation of law that is already, that's my thought on it. We may have some uh, some audio on uh, things going on there in the legislature in Indiana later on in the show. Uh, but first, I do want to bring uh, one of our panelists, Matt, on, because uh, she'd like to speak with you. And then uh, we have a couple other folks. Uh, so, Cindy, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you today? Hey there. I'm doing just great. How are you guys? Awesome. Good. Now before I uh, before before I move on, Cindy, I, I wasn't uh, given the amount of time you'd be able to uh, spend with us, Matt. I know you're quite busy. So, uh, how much time do you think uh, you'll be able to give us? I've got another. I mean, how many folks do you have on the panel here? I can give you another ten, fifteen minutes if that's all right. I can, probably at least ten minutes. Okay. Well, I've got Cindy, and then I've got Kelly, and then I've got uh, and then another person on the line as well who'd like to uh, talk as much as well as others, uh, but unfortunately, folks won't be able to get everyone in. So let's go ahead and uh, make it quick, Cindy, because we only get about the 10, 15 minutes. So go ahead, Cindy, and then we'll have uh, Kelly on after that. Go ahead, Cindy. Okie doke. Um, thanks for coming and joining us, Matt. Um, my first thought when, you know, you were giving all your qualifications was uh, going to be, uh, what in the world, why would you put yourself through that again, <laughs> you know? what you went through last time and everything, going up against the big money machine. But your your qualifications are just astounding. And I can't believe that any people wouldn't want to vote for you if if they could get your if you could get your message out. Okay? But here's my question. So do you see any hope for a bottoms up, bottom up grassroots type candidate uh getting elected as long as the McCain Feingold uh, is still law, and along with that, do you see any hope for a grassroots-type GOP nomination for a president um, this uh, this coming election in 2016, uh, as long as the 2012 rules changes are still in place? Uh, I see that Morton Blackwell has been deathly silent lately on that issue. I'm wondering if he's given up. And is there any hope for the grassroots getting control of our party or at least being able to have a fair representation, a fair shake, uh, being treated fairly uh, with our party? Those are a lot of great questions, and let me try to hit them in, in as tight as I can in the order in which you ask them. Number one, I appreciate your gracious comment about me jumping back in and my qualifications. It's very kind of you, and I and I'm grateful for that. But I'll tell you, I think it's incumbent upon me. I've been blessed by this nation. I've come a long way living the American dream, and, I, and I'm grateful for that. And, I, and it would be, I think, the wrong thing if I were to assume that, hey, good for me, and, and uh, I'm just going to sail off into the sunset. I think to those who much is given, much is expected. And I think I've been blessed, and it's incumbent upon me to be a good steward of that which I have. And so I'm willing to put myself forward as a public servant because I do believe in this country. I, you know, as a former active duty military officer, I, I served this nation. And there are people that I served with who literally gave their lives, whose children have been raised without a dad, 
because their father died in another country so that we could even sit here and freely have this radio conversation and not be worried about who's listening in and is going to be knocking on our door tonight. This is a blessing that so much of the world can't even begin to imagine. And shame on me if I'm not willing to make some kind of sacrifice like those that have preceded us. So this is what leads me to this race. I care about this nation. I care about my children's future, as I've said. And, and you ask, do, you know, can we make a difference? Can the bottom-up solve this? If I did not believe it, I would not waste my time. I do believe it. And then the question you asked is, is, is it possible that we as conservatives can move the needle? Is it possible that non-establishment people, and don't be confused, there is nobody that will ever accuse me of being the inside guy. And indeed, there are many powerful interests that don't like the idea of people like me because I'm not the chosen one. I didn't kiss the right backsides and I didn't kiss the right rings and I didn't wait in line and be told like a mindless sheep when and where and how to run. And so they don't like me because they're not, I'm not owned by anybody. I'm not beholden to anybody. I owe no favors to anyone and they know it and that makes them worried. But the truth be told, if people like me and others like me, not me per se, but folks like me, if we don't step forward, then who will represent we the people? Who will truly represent us and not some other interest? And to that end, you ask, is it possible for someone like us to be put forward to win these races? Absolutely. You look at the apathetic level of voter participation. Conservatives in this nation, that if we would just step up and do what we want to see done by voting ourselves, there is not a race we could not win. The turnouts that we see range from 10, 15, 20, 25, 35, 40 percent top we ever see in any race ever is about 50 percent. And that's 50 percent of the people that are registered to vote. And in this country, only six out of 10 people that are eligible, eligible to vote are even registered which means that in a, in a high turnout rate, only three out of ten people that could have a say even bother to do so. And so what I'm challenging you all to understand is that there are that many conservatives among us. There are that many libertarians and believers in the Constitution and true conservative Republicans and fill-in-the-blanks among us who in conjunction with one another could elect the kind of leaders that will – transform this nation. I believe it to my core. It's why I'm willing to put myself out there. It's why I'm willing to take $20 million in the last race, and who knows how many in this race worth a blowtorch to the face, because who loves that? Nobody loves it. No one likes to have that kind of vitriol dumped on them, but I'll tell you what, America is worth it. America is worth it, and this is why I'm in this race. As it relates to the federal level, I won't weigh in on what will likely happen in the presidential race. Let's see who gets into it. There's still, it's still early. People will jump in. I, could, you know, I have my thoughts as to who I'd like to not see as the next president on both sides of the aisle, but I'll keep that to myself <laughs> until we see this plate. So I appreciate I, your question. I, I do. Can I give you a little suggestion, too? Do you, sure. do you have a YouTube, do you have a YouTube uh, account? Do you have a YouTube video out there? We do. You've got various things on on uh, on our YouTube channel. We actually just took down all the ones from the last race. There were tons and tons of them. We literally just took them down because I think they were still out there. Uh, but there are things. If you go out and just if you Google up Matt Bevin, M A T T B E V I N, or even just go to our website, mattbevin.com, 
you should be able to find a link to that to that YouTube stuff. Well, you need to have some cards that that you can give out. They're cheap enough. So you get some cards out that have your website on it, your Facebook page, your YouTube uh, information, and then all the other you know qualifications you have in your seven point plan. Get it all on there. And give us a chance. My dad goes up to Kentucky every other week, and I can hand a big old load of those, and he'll pass them out for me. He's an awesome conservative guy. He'd be happy to help you. And uh, if I can give money, um, uh, I can go to mattbevin.com to get your address. Yes, mattbevin.com. Take a look at it. I encourage people. We truly have the best website of anybody who's running for governor, M-A-T-T. B-E-V-I-N.com, mattbevin.com. You can download a lot of the very things you're talking about. You can literally download our entire blueprint for a better Kentucky. You can download contact information, download information about how you can contribute, download information about how you can volunteer, get in touch with our volunteer coordinators, a lot of things. And I'd be grateful for that, and I appreciate the suggestion. Thank you so much for your questions. Okie doke. And real quick, Matt, I think we got – Real quick, I think we got uh, just a few minutes uh, for our panelist uh, Kelly. Yep, go ahead. In fact, I mean, let's let's keep going. I've got. I mean, I let's go. I'll I'll hit as many as I can. Okay, go ahead, Kelly. Thank you very much. How are you? Well, well, Mr. Bevan, I am really glad that you are running. I really like your enthusiasm and love for this country, not beholden to anybody. And and I'm stunned by your eloquence. Um, I I just have to ask you, do you you must read an awful lot? I do. I grew up in a home with no television, and all I ever did was read as a kid. I loved to read. We don't have a TV now. I have nine kids. We don't have a TV. There's, there's, we've lost the ability for people to communicate. It's interesting. We've got an entire generation of young people who can hammer away with their thumbs, with their eyes down, and, and not be able to communicate. And it is a dying art form, I believe, for people to be able to articulate what it is they believe. And I've, you know, I'm grateful for the fact that I. You know, I'm blessed with a, an ability to at least string ha- three halfway coherent sentences together, and and that sometimes is, you know, a differentiator in today's day and age. Oh, absolutely. Well, John Jay's got some stunning writing, and sometimes you have to read his sentences twice, but his words are very precise. It's amazing. Um, so you were talking about healthcare. I, I got a couple of questions for you here. You know, one of them I, I like to joke around a little bit, but I, a couple of serious ones. But first, um, you know, you're talking about healthcare, the Fed versus the state, and I guess there's a government department that you don't like and that's called the department of redundancy department exactly. um, <laughs> yeah anyway all right so about um let's see oh yeah here's a friendly a little friendly correction on the constitution i've been accused of being a constitutional scholar it's real simple i read it you, you mentioned that uh, the tenth amendment are rights uh, that are the responsibility of the states and the people so this is a little friendly correction here it's not just the responsibility. It's something greater. It's these rights are owned by the states and the people because absolutely the states, yeah, the states form the federal government and give some rights for the betterment of the union. So these rights are absolutely owned. They're innate and they're inalienable. They're indefinite. Yeah, and they're in, and they're and they're indefinite as well. No, I was paraphrasing. I wasn't quoting the Tenth Amendment. I was paraphrasing. Well, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, absolutely yeah. you're absolutely correct. Yeah, because I'm I'm really passionate about that. All right, serious question here. Um. As governor, okay, a lot of bets in your state. As governor of Kentucky, um, you hold the position to send National Guard troops to war, all right, at the request of the president. Of course, you can say no. 
Now, as governor, if the United States Congress does not pass a declaration of war, as in constitutional requirement declaration of war, if Congress doesn't pass a declaration of war, will you as governor send National Guard troops? Every situation war? is different. The answer at first blush would be no. Again, it's, it, it, I'd have to understand exactly the situation. Again, I'm a former active duty military officer. I understand what the purpose of our military is. I understand that it is Congress, Article 1, Section 8, that has the authorization to do the very things you're talking about. And that if, in fact, it is not congressionally authorized, if we are not officially at war, I don't see any reason why we would put the Guard, National Guard troops of, of Kentucky or any other state uh, into something that has not already been authorized uh, through the appropriate constitutional channels. Wow, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's this really stunning thing because, you know, Ron Paul, when he was running for president, he got more donations from all the other Republican candidates combined because he was very careful on how he would go to war. And as a state governor, you can protect um, you can protect uh, people from Kentucky from going to wars that don't have a constitutional declaration. So anyway, but I, I got another question for you. This is kind of a, an interesting uh, – a buddy named Bill pointed this out to me today um, with um, – Glenn Beck, it appears that uh, Mitch McConnell, you'll have to verify this for me because it's stunning and shocking, but your competitor, Mitch McConnell, went to the DNC nationally. That's a Democratic. He went to the Democrats for funding to fund the smear campaign um, ads. Is, is, is that true? Have I have no that? idea. I really have no idea, and honestly, it doesn't even matter. I'm not running that race. I'm running for governor in the state of Kentucky. I, do, I want to okay. move on to whoever the other Bill folks are, too, in fairness, just for time's sake. Okay. Uh, Kelly, I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you so much. You bet. Okay, and I'm back. Did you have another uh, call? Uh, yes, I do, actually. I have uh, our panelist, Dan, on. Thank you very much, Dan, for coming to the show. How are you? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I, I hate that phrase, too. It just sounds like I wasn't ever honest before, but I just got in. I was at a fundraiser for another <laughs> mat, Mr. Bevan. Uh, there's a nut, the, the mats are just abounding everywhere, and they're all good, at least on our side. And we have a local fellow who had run uh, for Congress last year, and uh, he's running for another office this year. So I was at a fundraiser, and I was struck by the um, the attitudes of the people who were there. They're all patriots and they all have money, and they all want limited government, and they all want reduced taxes, and they all want uh, you know the same basic stuff that we want. But most of the time, I'm dealing with the grassroots, the supply side, if you will, with uh, groups as disparate as, uh, you know, from militia to the Baptist church, uh, from anti-abortion and pro-Second Amendment to... Uh, you know, tea parties and 912 groups and libertarians and shaggy anarchists and, uh, you know, Green Party people are actually anti-statist more and more. I mean, regular folks. And I find that it's much easier not for me to relate to them. I, I, I had money at one time. I had my own business. And I know you've got money, Mr. Bevan. But to tell them what we need to get done, and I think the big difference is that the people who I'm dealing with most of the time are working people. They're working class people, and they're hurting. 
and all the people I was with tonight, business owners, very fine people. Uh, one owns a charter airline, and another one owns uh, is a real estate developer, and uh, another one. I mean, just uh, the list goes on. And I'm sure that they're they're people that you're familiar with in Kentucky, the same sort of people, and who who are the fundraisers, the people with who can write ten thousand dollar checks. Um, they're not hurting. And right now, there seems to be a disconnect, which we're trying desperately, I'm trying desperately to bridge, not so much between the disparate patriot groups out there that are grassroots, because they're coming together. Just this past Saturday here in Pennsylvania, we had an inaugural meeting that within a day already encompasses over 50,000 members of grassroots groups, and it's growing and should be about three times as big within a month by my calculations, and that's just the start of it. Everybody wants in. Everybody agrees. I wrote up a mission statement, real clear and simple. All we want is the Constitution, but we also do need the money. When it comes to advertising, when it comes to printing brochures, you can get people I mean, that's what we do. We get people who go door knocking, people who show up at rallies, people who sign petitions, people who do all the the legwork, and that's invaluable, but you need that money. How do we convince? I I mean, there's no problem convincing the grassroots that we have to get money from the people who have it and that they're fine people who want the same things we do, but how do we convince the people with the money that they're not in charge, that they've got money? But they don't get any extra votes for it. They don't get any extra influence for it. They don't get any special entrees for it. And quite frankly, uh, their opinions, just because they're successful at running a business, might be useful if I was a candidate myself, for instance, uh, in a business matter. I'd want to know what they have to say. They're experts. But when it comes to an awful lot of things, they're not only not experts, but they have absolutely no experience. They don't know what it's like to go paycheck to paycheck. They don't know what it's like not to be able to pay medical bills. They don't know what it's like to have a car on its last legs and a job that's threatened if you can't make it. How do we convince? And and the basic of the premise of the question is, should we convince those people I mean, here's, who have been previously supporting the rhinos to support the grassroots and let us set the agenda? Go ahead. You know, again, it's easy for us to assume that we're going to take other people's money and tell them how we should operate with it and what we think. And I don't know that that's what you're implying, but I'll tell you, as somebody who's a big believer in liberty and a big believer in independence and and free thinking and and individual responsibility, uh, I'm not a big fan of taking other people's money and telling them what should be done with it any more than I like it if liberals are supporting that kind of thinking. I've never been offered. I, I don't begrudge people who have money. I don't. I, I grew up well below the poverty level. This isn't coming from somebody who can't appreciate what that's like. Trust me. Like very few people who are willing to put themselves into the arena, I understand it from a firsthand nature. But I also know I was never offered a job by a poor person. That much I know. And, and this idea that we have come to, and I'm not saying that you're calling for this, but many are, that we now vilify and look down on and scorn people who have been successful, I think is the wrong idea. I think it's the wrong solution. Are there people with money? Yes, there are. Are many of them tight with that money with respect to supporting conservative causes and the types of candidates that I believe are the right ones to take this nation forward? Yes, they are. But is it my place or anyone else's place to tell them what they should do with their money? No, it is not. How then can anything be done? It is to be done by people like me or whoever 
who is putting themselves forward to make the case. If we cannot articulate a clear enough message, a passionate enough message, a compelling enough message to convince them to part with their money, then we don't deserve their money, period. That's my thinking. Oh, I'll tell you. You you definitely have uh, come a long way since last year, and you were good last year, but as far as the compelling message, uh, you sound great, and I get what you're saying. I I think I want to clarify what I was saying a little bit, which is I'm not telling the people who have the the donor class, shall we say, that uh, they don't get choices or they don't get to say what they want. Um, I'm saying they don't get any more say than anyone else just because they have more money. Uh, Quite, again, I'm using that question. Understood. Frankly. This guy I was talking to tonight kept saying that, and it got stuck in my head. I'm sorry for that. Um, but to, in my mind, uh, $10,000 worth of advertising or brochures is not worth 10 committed volunteers who are willing to work and put in 40 hours over the course of one month because that committed person who goes out there yep. – gets actual votes. They convince their family, their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers to actually get involved and to vote the way that they should. Television commercials, the, the people who get convinced by that don't generally vote at all anyway. Now, I know. No, but I'll tell you, it's interesting. it is a good yeah. point, Dan, but I'll tell you what's interesting is historically it does move people still, and so sadly, I'm with it you. Does. I'd rather have $5 from a person and or their time because if you have $5 and or their time, They've got skin in the game and are more likely to be engaged on your behalf and to vote. The, the thing, however, that is true about elections, sadly, is that people are moved by media, and it's who we are as human beings, and we're moved by communication, both pro and con, and that it is therefore both top-down, which is the airwaves and mediums that we are talking about, and it is bottom-up, the grassroots door-knocking, telephone-calling, and telling of friends and sharing of information. Both are imperative to winning. And as conservatives, unless we can make the case, we've got to we've got to be able to do both. Well, that's true. And that's that's the the unity that we've been seeking. Um, And of course, this is my problem is that a lot of the donor class, certainly not all. There have been some standouts and a lot of small business people who have been staunch for liberty for some time now. But the donor class has been generally putting their money behind the status quo, uh, yep. the people who give us illegal immigration, who give us uh, the welfare state, who give us more spending on more BS and insist that uh, holding the line is, is plenty. Just let, let's, let's keep it uh, to a small increase. Or but what have we no always done? Let's, let me interrupt it. you for a second. What have we Please always do. done in response to that? What have conservatives always done in response to that? We've thrown up our hands. Mm-hmm. We've said, you know, those bums, and we stay home and don't vote. Shame on us. Which is no good. We could, You're right. We could, it isn't good. And the reality is they can spend all the money they want on rhino-like behavior, but if we the people stay home out of frustration and reward them by not participating, we are playing right into that kind of nonsense. We well, have the we ability, have we have the numbers to turn yeah. to well, override it. We've just got to vote. Thank God we do have candidates in various places, including Kentucky, like yourself, who are willing to step forward. Now, I understand even though you started as uh, a working class person who didn't have a lot of money, that uh, you have some significant resources of your own that you earned on your own. And uh, are you going to be needing donations from people or are you going to be self-funding when it comes down to uh, the big media buys? No, I mean, absolutely need support from people. I mean, this is, again, nobody 
if people cannot make the articulation, and myself included, if I can't make the case to people that what I'm calling for requires broad support, I don't deserve to be representing anybody. I don't. The idea that people can buy their way into office is nonsense. This is what people in the establishment do often. It's part of the problem. We've got to be able to be united as supporters of conservative thinking. So, I again, if people want to help, I'd be grateful. And I don't care the amount because I'll tell you what, in my last race, I had tens of thousands of people. Tens of thousands of people making small donations adds up, and that's a powerful, powerful thing. I need the same thing this time. I really do. It's a different scale, and yet it's important. So if people are so inclined, is. they can go to come and, and help out. They can click a button and follow the links, and uh, it would be huge and appreciated. Well, one thing I have uh, made a point to, and this seems to be really resonating, uh, at least with the grassroots and tonight with a number of people who were there at the big fundraiser. And uh, that's a lot of the buzzwords we've used are really, really not acceptable anymore. Uh, I don't think that using the word liberal is any good because the government is not liberal. They're statist. And the reason I don't think it's any good is not just that it's inaccurate, but that it turns off a whole lot of people who are small-D Democrats. And you do have a general election to run, no matter how anyone does in a primary. They still have to get that, you know, 50% plus one. And that does generally take people of the other party, whoever that is, um, or the uncommitteds and the the independents. Um, So I don't like that term. And I don't like conservative either, because that also turns off a certain group. Um, what I like is real, real quick, real, real quick, Dan, uh, real, real quick. Hold on, hold on, Dan. You know how I hate, hate to interrupt every, anyone. Uh, however, yeah, host. Um, well, I know, but I still hate to do it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so what I need to do uh, is in the interest of time for folks to try to get as many folks in as possible for Matt's got to go. We did have uh, Bill who's been waiting on the uh, line for a while to talk. So I'm going to go ahead and get him in real quick. Uh, thank you very much, Bill. Go ahead. Um, thank you. And uh, uh, Matt Semperfy, and um, I have been uh, watching you for the last uh, year and had listened to your uh, interviews with uh, Glenn Beck uh, and uh, really interested in what your uh, uh, goal is at this time. Um, sure wish we had somebody like you here in California. Um one of my uh, concerns is uh, lobbyists. And, um, what is your um, goal in dealing with lobbyists in your state? I can tell you this. I have not – there's not a single lobbyist that has given me one red cent, and I am not the favorite son of that crowd because, again, I'm not owned by them, and they know that. And that's actually of concern to folks like that. In fact, they work very strongly – in the last race and in this one, uh, for people that are not me. And that's okay. It worries them that I might get to the equation where they now are beholden to somebody that they've got nothing on. I don't. I, here's the thing. I don't think all lobbyists are bad people. I think it's, frankly, a good idea that there are people who can be emissaries of ideas to legislators. But the idea that they can buy influence, I've got a big problem with. The idea that they can sway people through dollars as opposed to actual facts and that legislators are too lazy often to do the factual 
uh, digging that's needed to make thoughtful and informed decisions. This is part of the problem. The system has been co-opted, and what was intended to be a government of and by and for the people has now become increasingly of and by and for a handful, including this handful of crony-type crowds that we talked about earlier, and that includes a lot of these lobbyists. So I'm not personally a big fan of the worst sides of that element, but I do also understand that it is important and necessary to have people who can bring knowledge forward, and that should be the role of lobbyists, not as influent and dollar peddlers. Very well put, by the way. Well, thank he's, you. He's, he's really, you're really getting, Matt, seriously, I listened to you last year, and and I've heard you a few other times, some some things on the web, and, and you're good. You were always good. Boy, you are on fire. It's nice to hear. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm, this is what happened. I'm sitting in the front seat of my uh, 182,000-mile uh, 2001 Chevy Suburban in the driveway of my home, so maybe this is my zone. Maybe... <laughs> When I'm sitting in an old truck in my driveway late at night is when I'm fired up. So I I, I, I appreciate it. I'm a, I'm a I got a question for you to follow up on uh, what Bill asked with lobbyists. Well, well, real mind. quick, Kelly, real, real quick, I just want to make a comment. Real quick, uh, kind of a programming note of sorts. is that I think the last time you were on the phone, Matt, you were also in a truck on the I phone. I probably was. Go ahead, That's Kelly. <laughs> I think of recall, my like, uh, Let me just... Somebody had a comment or question. Let me take that, and then I've got to hop. I, I, I was able to push one thing off that I had to do, but uh, so it gave us an no extra 10 or 15 minutes. Thank you. No worries. Let yeah, me take – somebody wanted yeah. to follow up. Let me hit that. Yeah, it's Kelly here. Yeah, man, I've been great. Um, I have to explain something quickly, and then I'm going to tell you a process you can do as a governor if you're open to it. Okay, so what happens is I, I'm a civil engineer, and I see – all sorts of codes and regulations coming at me to sell a safety product. One of the best examples is, is the rebar hub, the orange rebar hubs. I mean, people's self-interest prevent them from impaling themselves. But you can file a patent, go to the legislature with a lobbyist. You're the sole seller of this. It's law, and you make millions, okay? This crap's got to stop, okay? Now, in the process... There is insider trading, if you will, by state legislatures. Congress does this. But if you, as governor, find out that it's going to make somebody rich with a safety device or environmental something or other, when you find out, you're in a position of the process of vetoing it for that specific reason if you have a research team that will find out some of the legislature who introduced this is going to get very wealthy. And I think the people would love you for that. I've made very clear. I agree with you. And here's what I've made very clear in my blueprint for a better Kentucky, that among other things, not only will I have a staff that on day one is at a minimum 20% smaller than that of the current governor, but that a dedicated member of my staff will have as their sole time, full job the entire time that I'm in office, the responsibility of weeding out corruption, inefficiency, waste, and redundancy within the state government. I am confident that person could work 24-7, 365, and probably never get to the bottom of everything. And so I will make it my mission. 
I do believe very much that it is not the role of government to enrich any individual or groups of individuals at the taxpayer expense. And let me close simply by saying this. I believe very much, as Jefferson did, that the government governs best that governs least. And whether it's you know caps on the end of rebar or whatever the case may be, that we over-regulate and over-complicate and over-nanny state so much in this country. And as governor, this is not something that I'm going to be a believer in more of, but rather quite the opposite. I truly appreciate all your time. I am going to hop. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for the questions. Go to mattbevin.com. Help us out. Spread the word. i got seven weeks. It's hardly a given. This is a wide-open race. I need all the help I can get. And anything any of you can do through social media, et cetera, to push this interview out, to push out our information on our site, what have you, I truly would be grateful. And thank you for your love of America. Take care, guys. Thank you, thank you very wow. much, Matt, for staying and uh, staying that extra time as well. You too. Take care. Wow. Well, we'll do our well, best. I'm with Dan. I'm with Dan. I I learned. I listened to Matt last time, last election, and there mm-hmm. is a there is there is a definite improvement there. And it sounds like rather than being uh, burned out from the first uh, campaign, he sounds like it just fired him up to go even harder. I mean, he sounds like he's ready for a fight. <laughs> he's a Marine. Sammy. Yeah, well. He's a Marine. <laughs> yeah, like you that. can tell. Army. Now, don't get me wrong, Kelly. I, I've got friends in all branches. Um, and uh, But there's, there you're, is you're something. You have friends? You're, you're friends. friends. But well, you got a lot of lots of friends. But real quick, but, but real quick, folks, I, I do. I just want to make this comment because we we have Bill and folks on the line. Is that one, uh, Bill? If you're new to the show, well, one thing uh, that you may not know, or for those who are at the show and they are new listening to the show, uh, that once you're on the show, we don't just keep you on here for five ten minutes. You can stay on as long as you'd like uh, to be a part of the show and to contribute as much as you'd like. Uh, so what we try to do is after we do our interviews, ask. Uh, do our roundtable discussions, Bill, in which we try to bring it around and give people as much equal time as possible. So if you would like to uh, chime in on anything else that we talked about tonight, I just want to let you know uh, to the remainder of the show, you're welcome to stay and do so. Uh, so, Bill, we'll keep that open to you, okay? Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, awesome. you're welcome. That's uh, in part uh, what Bart's Logic Little Talk is about, because as we say, it is the grassroots We the People show. And that is what the show is about, is uh, we the people, uh, such as yourself, Bill. Uh, so go ahead, and I don't mean to interrupt uh, you folks. Uh, so whoever, <laughs> I'm trying to remember who was uh, talking when well, I interrupted, but uh, go ahead. It's off topic, but all I was saying was that uh, everybody has to admit that there is something different and special about Marines when it comes to dedication. Uh, an Army guy... Then anyone can be angry at me if they want. And this is all my pals out there in the various services. Army guy will figure out the way to get the job done efficiently with the least amount of fuss and bother as possible. A Navy guy will figure out how to you bring all that the resources to bear and do it in the most comfortable manner possible, so that it takes as little time as possible, so they can you know enjoy their their their, their good meals. And, and Air Force, they're going to use the most technology they can to maximize. But when it, with Marines, it's individual riflemen. 
It's individual effort. If a Marine colonel falls in battle, the major takes over. If, it, if, if one after another, nothing is left except for two Marines and one's a lance corporal and the other's a PFC, they will accomplish the task no matter what they have to do to do it. They are, there is just something special about people who, are, who become Marines, and they're never done being Marines. <laughs> Matt is a clear example of that. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> well, the Marines are always the ones on the ground. They're always the first ones in, and, and they, yeah. they, you know, I have great respect for them also. But I have respect for all our military men. They're all out there. They're all out there for one reason. Uh, well, now, two reasons. <laughs> uh, one, some of them are just, some, now let's be honest, some of them are just out there to get an education because they get the education bill. But um, the ones that are, that are uh, volunteering because they want to serve our country, those are the ones that I I truly have great respect, and I honor them, uh, including you. Now, Cindy, uh, we have a situation in this country right now which is really its difficult, and it's potentially very problematic. Um, on the one hand, we have the traditional uh, status class vilifying our military, our firefighters, our police, and on the other side, there's a glorification of people who serve. And I've mm-hmm. been, been involved quite a bit with the Oath Keepers, and I've taken that oath myself. The oath is to the Constitution, and my worry is that there's been a purge. There's been a soft purge for almost a generation of real patriots among the top echelons of the military. They're politicians, yeah. and many of them are very squishy. Now they're worse than squishy. They're tools. They've been asking really bad questions about what these people would order their troops to do. Because troops do follow orders most of the time. If they don't, it becomes, uh, even if it's an illegal order, it becomes mutiny. And this is a very serious thing. And they're conditioned to follow orders and not to think about the reason behind them. Right now in this country, in this country, not overseas, we have uh, upcoming operations, and some things have already happened in Fort Lauderdale, uh, with this Operation Jade Helm, which is uh, a clear violation, in my mind, of the Posse Comitatus Act uh, after the Civil War. And Dan, Dan. Nothing I, else I, but practice. I have questions about that. I, I don't understand that. Will you please explain that situation right. to me? Yes, I will. All right. Uh, the military has decided to start ongoing operations, which could be years in length, but are going to be commencing this summer. Some are reporting uh, uh, activity, and this is all in open media. The major media, of course, is not reporting it, but it's happening, and you can see video of it, where they're practicing uh, counterinsurgency in this country. And the territories that they have designated to be uh, hostile territories for the purpose of a training exercise happen to coincide quite precisely with the areas that are uh, pro-liberty. And they've been expanding it. It was seven states. Now it's nine states. It's as far from California all the way across the southern tier, all the way up to North Carolina. There are some who are now making allegations, and we have to be very careful because I wait for confirmation from trusted, reliable sources and then seek 
verification from independent other trusted reliable sources before I'll report something as a fact. But but there have been serious allegations from some people who are in a position to know and have been trustworthy in the past that they're also preparing this sort of operation in some of the northern states along the eastern seaboard at least. And what it is is uh, practicing extractions, infiltrations, uh, counterintelligence, uh, surveillance, and they're doing it in real time on American soil with American military and uh, military uh, hardware, and that includes some pretty hefty stuff, especially intelligence, intelligence gathering apparatus. Um, and this is problematic for a number of reasons, besides the fact that it's clearly practice uh, against insurrection. It's also an opportunity to create a false flag or to uh, provoke a real incident with somebody who's pissed off, somebody who's a little loose uh, you know, with, with their uh, thinking, somebody who does not see that, that we don't want to pre- present provocation to uh, uh, the statists who are running things. I have a friend, happens to be a Marine, could have been anyone, but he uh, recently was almost given a diagnosis that he was going to die. Uh, a lot of my friends have have given him quite a bit in service, and some of them have uh, have hurt. And this is, by the way, anyone trying to guess, you, you won't guess which one it is, but it's it's someone you wouldn't expect. And he had made up his mind that if if it, he got that that word from the doctor, he was going to go and do something. I won't say what, but it wouldn't have been a good thing. And I told him, and you know, I grabbed him. And I told him, don't even think of that. He says, no, I'd write a letter. I would be clear. I said, no, it wouldn't be clear. They'd have a picture of you and me and a dozen other people and say, look what they did. There would be an opportunity to say, this is the sort of person, and this is why we have to protect you. And it would be a chance for them to actually pull the pin and say, NDAA is now operational, which, by the way, folks, is a a law in this country. National Defense Authorization Act is usually just... um, military funding, but and the last several Congresses, and they did this under Bush as well as under Obama, and it says that the military would have the right under the president's authorization without due process, without judicial review, without uh, review of the legislature, without anything in secret to simply take a list of people that the administration, whoever might be in there, left wing, right wing, just crazy people, uh, and go and grab those people. Just grab them up in the middle of the night, unmarked, no no uh, military insignia, no military vehicles. Just go and grab them. Uh, don't tell anyone you've got them. Take them where you want them. Do what you want to them, and then have complete immunity to lie to a judge when a federal judge says, habeas corpus, produce that body in my courtroom on Monday morning and prove that you have due process or you have uh, due cause to continue holding that person. They can say, we don't know who that person is. We've never heard of it. And that's completely legal, folks. Legal, not constitutional. So I don't want anyone out there who is seeing these reports of Jade Helm who might be seeing black helicopters, and this is real shit, excuse my French, uh, seeing um, you know, uh, troops, or people who look a little odd and might be troops infiltrating into Patriot rallies, don't give them provocation. In fact, this is an excellent opportunity for two things. One is 
uh, counterintelligence. I have some contacts in the militias out in the West who are using this to not activate, to not notify all their members, to not take any operational steps, but to surveil. And the benefits to this is, first of all, um, it keeps us on our toes, tells us what we might have to expect from the status if they get too desperate, if they decide that they can't maintain control, if there is indeed, as I, as I see it, a, a ground swelling, an upwelling of liberty in this country, and it threatens to do more than just give us a Republican takeover, but gives us a constitutionalist takeover, and we could make short work of all their, their crazy programs and their multi-trillion dollar debts, um, it, they might just do something like that. So we want to well, know the word, what they're about. Uh, I'm almost the, done, Cindy. Uh, knowing what they're about is important because they don't have the flexibility to change their tactics as quickly as small groups of patriots, uh, most of whom are veterans and who think very clearly. Um, the other reason that thing that we can do, this is a great opportunity, is to encourage the lower members, the lower echelons of the military and the police, if they were your friends, uh, to be oath keepers. They provide a great deal of information already, and it drives their bosses crazy. How do we find out about this stuff? How do we know what's going on? Well, I'll tell you, and I won't tell you who, and you won't find it on my computer or anything in my house. And if you want to look through my house, it's a big mess. Good luck. But you won't find it. Um, but there are people on the inside who are telling us what's going on because they don't like it one bit. And we need that operational intelligence. And we need to remind these military people that following orders is fine as long as they're legal orders and that if they ever, ever receive an order to fire on U.S. civilians, unarmed civilians, civilians who refuse to simply give up their arms, that they're going to have a fight on their hands. And as much as I care about these young fellows in the, the service, um, I don't care who it is. Somebody threatens my family. They're going to pay a price. And that is a pretty universal feeling right now among at least 40 million Americans who are really serious about this. So that's what's going on with, with uh, Operation Jade Helm. All right. Well, my, my fear is what you mentioned towards the beginning of what you were talking about, that they are going to use this as an opportunity to orchestrate a false flag event and uh, then blame it on us. They can try, but it would have to be limited in scope, very small, and they'd have to be able to convince the vast majority of the people that it was actually true and that even, look, there's there's crazy people, um, and yet I walk out of the street uh, you know, from work and there's a fellow, he's got schizophrenia. I've talked to him. He's a nice fellow. He's had some problems in his life. He really wishes he wasn't sick. Um, he's not violent. None of us are worried about him. We all know him. All right. So they haven't convinced us that it's okay to round up crazy people. Um, there are people who uh, molest kids who happen to be teachers or priests or you know whatever, and we don't want to round up all the teachers and the priests because we know the vast majority of them are just fine people who don't do anything wrong to children or anybody else. So if there is some sort of provocation, some sort of event, um, they're going to have a real hard time convincing people that, hey, uh, your neighbor down the street, the guy you've known for 20 years, the one who uh, you know likes to uh, uh, re reenact or, uh, his past glories as a young man and go out with his, his friends and do some training, 
the one who actually works next to you as a volunteer firefighter, the fellow who works with you and, and has some pretty profound political opinions. we got to round them up now. They're not going to be able to convince it because we're the ones telling everyone the truth. And the people out there know who's telling them the truth when they hear the truth. And as soon as it, they start hurting, they're looking for the truth. So I don't think the, the major medias have nearly the kind of power that they used to, basically because people are hurting and they, they just look at it and go, how can, how can I believe that the unemployment rate is, is that low when I see all these people who don't speak English at all, who are clearly illegal coming in here and they're working and everybody I know who's over 50 who lost their job in the last five years, pretty much none of them got their jobs again. And, and how can anybody who has kids you know, 18 to 25-year-olds go, oh, yeah, things are hunky-dory when 40% of the kids of that age group who should be out working and learning and, and earning a living and, and getting somewhere and preparing a future are sitting at home and unable to find anything to do. We, we know this. This is our lives. So, you know, tell me what you want on TV, and I'll just say it's another Brian Williams moment. <coughs> Well, well, I want to bring Bill. it real quick, uh, Cindy. I just want to go ahead and bring Bill back in. So, if there's any uh, comments that he would like to make on uh, what Dan was saying, go ahead, uh, Bill. Well, Dan, that's uh, news to me. Uh, it's, um, and thanks for uh, explaining that. Um, I'm just wondering if that has anything to do with what I feel has been a major conspiracy over the last couple of decades now. Uh, prepping us for this moment, for this time of, of the, the Jade Helm. I don't think that the powers that be ever really planned to have to use military force. Um, they always figured that they'd be able to um, dumb us down enough, like Thomas, you know, you know all that stuff happened. Uh, so well over 100 yeah. years since the progressives took over the schools and started to really infiltrate um, they, TV is just crap. The, the popular culture is just demeaning and nasty. There's, there's no, there's no morals there. There's no decency there. For the most part, there are exceptions. Um, and they figured there'd be very few left who, uh, wouldn't be able to be, you know, and we'd stand out like sore thumbs. What they forgot is that you can indoctrinate all you want, but it's shallow. It didn't really take. Most people, they get out, even, and I'm older, I'm 54 next month, but um, even when we got out of high school, we all spent a couple of months and said, God, all that stuff they taught us, well, you know, some of it's just BS. I found out what's really going on. I got a job. I know what's actually happening in the real world. You know, I listened to the old guy at work, and I used to laugh at him, and everything he told me is true. So it's broad, this indoctrination, but it's very shallow. So as soon so, as somebody starts hurting, so, so it Dan, the you, reality you, you, doesn't match it. Go ahead. Right. But, you, Dan, you had a uh, conversion from socialism over to uh, conservative, and you like the Constitution. I think that's yeah, stunning. Really now, you, you, so you're saying that basically me, when, you, when you got a job, yeah, it took you decades, yeah. but when you were working a job, was that a big part of it? Every single experience that I had, I had to be honest with myself. Right. So it took me a long time because at the time the country was running really, really well as far as the economy. There was always money. There was always stuff to do. It was fun. There was things, okay, to buy stuff. 
And at the same time, it was clear that there were injustices, and it seemed like at the time that it was all coming from the right. But now I'm, it took me a while to realize that it doesn't matter which boot it is, left or right, if it's on your throat, it's no damn good. So for me, as I said, over it took it took Reagan a long time too, and I'm not putting myself in his category, but it took me experience after experience after experience where reality didn't meet the rhetoric, and I had to make a choice. I would either lie to myself and be a fool, or I would change my view of things to match the way things really are. Now, even though it took me a long time, it doesn't take people a long time today. I, I can take somebody who is just they all I have to do is be willing to question. They have to have a, had experiences in their lives that show that there's a disconnect, a cognitive dissonance. It doesn't make sense what they're telling me anymore. My life tells me something different. And all I have to do with that person is ask them a couple of questions about what they like and agree with, real basic questions. Uh, you want to do what you want to do without being bothered? Do you, do you think the government is full of experts who know better than you? Well, if they know better, how come it's not getting better, it's getting worse? Do, do you really think you're, you want to pay more for this? You're getting less. And they well, all agree. So the yeah, next well, question I, I is, a, yeah. is... I, I had a real... Go ahead. Well, all i got to do then is tell them a little bit of truth. And I stay away from the fringe issues because there's not a lot of proof about things like, uh, you know, and I hope people don't get mad at me on the you know, fringes, but chemtrails and, and uh, GMO, yeah, it may be dangerous, it may be real, but I, I'm looking at proof and I'm also looking at real, real easy wins to get these people over. So the real win is property tax here in Pennsylvania. The real win is um, jobs. The real win is do you know what? How much did you have to spend to buy ground beef in the supermarket? Those are real wins because they they can't deny those things. They already know those things. You tell them a couple of bits of truth. Don't believe me. Go check it out. Here's a place to start and go from there. And then you wait. And usually you wait a day or three or a week. And then you speak to them and they go, you were right. And you say, well, you know what? Here's some more information. Here, tell them about NDAA. Show them about NSA. Show them this stuff. And then bit by bit, they get angry enough. First they get scared, then they get angry. And then you, you want to convert that because fear will make people not do things. Anger is a tremendous explosive force, but it doesn't last. What you want is them to, to come to love. So now the question I ask them, and this is the the, the Next to the last step, this is step two, it's only a three-step process, is do you care about your children? Do you care about the, the woods, your environment, the, the streams, the fields? Do you care about your neighbors, your city? Do you care about these things? And, of course, they do. And so to care about them, wouldn't you like to have the freedom, the resources to be able to band together without the government's interference with your friends, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, and do something to fix those problems. And they say, well, a lot of people already do. They volunteer for things. And that brings you to the third step, which is action items. You tell them what needs to be done. Most of the time, I don't have time to give individual instructions to all kinds of people. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I'm capable of knowing where, what they're going to be best at or what's going to be the best thing for their life. So I direct them to groups. 
And I always give them a choice of a number of different groups and tell them, go there, sit in the back. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to sign anything. See if it feels like home. If it doesn't, go to this other one. See if, they, if, if it feels like home there. Pretty soon, they're going to find some place and they're going, wow, these guys, these ladies, they're just like me. I really like it here. I'm coming back. They make friends. And that's where the action items come in. We're going so to get together saying, at 6 a.m. Yeah. So yeah. what you're saying is uh, yeah. people are starting to realize the truth. I always go to pain. When people suffer enough pain, it's the and precipice it. of change. So then you're, you're getting them involved, connecting them with a group. You're, you're, you're getting them from pain to anger to action to here's a group you can connect with. To love. Don't and forget I, love. It, it's got to come yeah, from a great. positive source. Something right. that's so willing that's, 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 Right, that's what we something. all need to be doing. Yeah, I, I want to throw out some thoughts here if I can. Um, I realized today an analogy of our government. Okay? So uh, computers came in. They were the best thing since sliced bread. Okay, they're awesome. Oh, but you need another upgrade, another upgrade, another upgrade. And they're always making them better. In fact, it's so better now that I can't print my plans and I'm very upset and I have to pay uh, some money to finally – get upgraded so I can print my plans for a meeting with a client tomorrow. It's so frustrating. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's just like government. Government's just like that. Oh, we're going to make it better. You're already too big. And we're going to make it better. Oh, it's already too big. So we're going to prove your lies. Just like computer upgrades. And it doesn't, it, all it ends in, in, up in is frustration and pain with all these supposed progressive upgrades to our government. It's just like the Microsoft. And then you're on YouTube, and you get a pop-up ad, or you're going to some website, something no, you don't ask for, don't care about, don't need, never wanted, but it interrupts your entire computer interface. That's just like government. Somebody's got to make it better, and we're going speaking, the wrong and, way. And, and speaking of friends, folks, uh, we do have a friend on the line who uh, it's good to hear her uh, after it's been a while, so we'll go ahead and let her in. Is anyone else on the line? Uh, and listening to the show, give us a call at 347-945-7428 if uh, you'd like to call into the show. And actually, if you want to listen to the portion of the show we call lovingly, as this is reason the word, uh, the Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, we kind of say that tongue-in-cheek as well, uh, because it's not that bad. <laughs> but anyway, just give us a call at 347-945-7428 and push the one on your number dial if you'd like to chime in. Uh, but, of course, uh, let's go ahead and bring our good friend in, Harriet. Thank you very much, Harriet, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Fine, thank you. I didn't intend to speak, but uh, since you brought me in, the frustration of getting, getting on the program uh, <laughs> ang- angered me, but I listened to what Dan said, and so now I'm back in love again. <laughs> All right. No, it's <laughs> been a one, wonder. It's been wonderful to listen to Matt, and I just wanted to share that I did work on his campaign uh, when he ran in Kentucky last time, and I made phone calls here from home and was in contact with his campaign, and uh, I just think that I hope that this time he'll make it for governor. I think he'll be really, really good. Yes. Hey, Harriet, how is your article, your follow-up article on uh, the uh, veterans' uh, plight coming uh, along? Well, I haven't turned it over to you yet because I did, I just in the beginning of doing the research again on it, and uh, so I wanted to make the op-ed for publication much larger than I had 
first time. But, um, yes, I'm working on it. I have the neighbors who are veterans. And what I'm mainly focusing on, and if anyone has information that they want to uh, send to me to evaluate, I'll be happy to accept it on any of the veterans who are still struggling for health care and pension. And um, one thing for sure is that we're still counting about 55 veterans a day committing suicide. That has not changed. Now, Marco Rubio received my op-ed the last time I wrote it. It went through him. And now, supposedly, he's going to be running for president here in our state. So that may be an issue that we could kind of, um, you know, bring up with him uh, to see, you know, how he feels about that. But our veterans are in very, very bad shape, financially, health-wise, emotionally, suicidal, um, and it's very, very sad. I want to just one clarification. Um, it, it's a it's a terrible situation, but uh, the the vast majority of veterans are not emotionally unstable or suicidal. Fifty five a day is far too many, but there are millions who are coping just fine, but could use what was promised to them when they signed a blank check for this country and they got harmed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about somebody who, you know, served in Germany and had a nice billet and, and, you know, maybe was a cook or a clerical person. Nothing wrong with that. They did what they were told to do, and they did their best with it, I hope. Um, But especially over these last years of this, over a decade, we've been fighting a constant war where we've been throwing some of our best into the meat grinder over and over and over again with almost no time out and over-medicating them and giving them... Mm-hmm. incredibly bad rules of engagement where they can't even protect themselves without being charged with crimes. Um, and a lot of these folks could use the help. And what they mostly need is your acceptance. And they need you. They need a job. They need yeah. somebody yeah. To, to give them, give a damn about them and shake their hand and look them in the eye. And yeah, some have problems. We all have problems we can solve them a lot easier if we have help from each other. Um, the thing is with the uh, Veterans Hospital, um, they put someone in charge of it, and he didn't work out very well himself. In fact, I understand um, that things have not improved in the hospitals under the guidance of the person who became director. So I want to follow up on that and see what's going on in that aspect. I have a veteran right here across the street, and he waited four months to get in to see a respiratory and a heart doctor. Well, wow, Harriet, so, as long as yeah. as long as um, progressives are in charge of uh, 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 employing those people that manage our veteran care, yeah. there won't right, be any right. changes. Yeah, that's right. That's what it is. But we, we as Americans, we have to step step up and see that, you know, do the best we can. Everybody give a little, even if it's a little volunteer time or take care of a veteran in your neighborhood or write an article uh, to the editors or, um, I mean, I just called the our uh, state veterans department in Tallahassee, and I have a contact there, and I call and get information I need. 
I'd like to address something um, to the people who are listening who happen to be veterans. Um, if you don't need help or if you do need help, one of the best ways to affect this is action. Get out there and do something for somebody else. As specifically, if you, if you, since you are perhaps a combat veteran, uh, you, you have experiences that it's very hard for somebody. Most people who have not had that specific experience are not going to relate to you real well, or you're not going to relate to them. It's not universal. There are people who know what you're talking about. Um, on the other hand, uh, if you're well, making that outreach to somebody who perhaps isn't, at least it comes from a brother in arms. And if, if whether you're well or not, um, there are plenty of opportunities for helping others. That's why you got involved in the first place, and they don't have to involve violence. If you enjoyed the military experience and you need structure, uh, there's opportunities and organizations that provide that structure. If you're kind of sick of being told what to do and you want to, you know, just decide for yourself on every particular occasion and plenty of the, that uh, after having served, I see, uh, then there are groups like that. And it, it could be as simple as uh, helping with pets, uh, you know, at an animal shelter, helping with kids, helping with uh, old people, helping clean things up. Uh, it doesn't matter. And if you want to get involved in politics, more the better. Because you know what? Uh, it's the political leaders who make the decisions on what you're going to do with, with that body of yours, with that weapon that they put in your hands. And uh, now that you are no longer active duty, no longer enlisted uh, or officer and bound by the military code of justice, you're only bound by the Constitution, which says you have the right to influence that political arena. You have the right to help form and shape those decisions so that any of our boys and young ladies out there who might have to go one day to fight will only be fighting for things that are direct, important national interests of the United States. And we're going to be fighting on the right side instead of the wrong side. And we're going to be fighting effectively so that we win and so that we get the hell out. I noticed that uh, in in uh, in my area where I live in Ocala, we're, we've got approval to build two uh, new uh, veterans nursing homes. We do have one in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, and um, so we're the next area. We're going to be getting two new ones, and we also have school programs um, set up for the veterans if they want to go to school and also work programs. So it, it's getting better. It's not getting worse, but still, we have a long way to go, but at least we've got the, the plow going to, to get the soil turned so that we could work on it, but I can't do it myself, and, uh, you know, we need help of everyone a little bit, a little bit. Uh, the phone calls matter because that keeps people, well, here she is again, here she is again with the, with the concern, and, you know, they get to the point, well, they're going to work on it. So uh, it looks um, pretty good now compared to when I got started on it, but I want my op-ed to reflect from the end of the last one to the uh, beginning of, of um, the new one and to entail everything that's new and improved. And I wanted to focus more on being positive. The last one was being was focused more on the negativism. Very good. Yeah. So I thank you for that. I thank you for asking. 
You're welcome. And you know what? Uh, don't, don't worry about the writing part of it. Uh, that'll come. It's that research that you do, Harriet, that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people yeah. who are yeah. talented at a lot of different things. The thing that uh, you seem to do, and I, I rely on you and a handful of others since I don't have enough time to do as much research as I, as I like to do, as I used to do, um, you parse stuff, you go through stuff, you find things, you evaluate things. I have other people who do the same, and it's a godsend because I'm looking at 100, 150 news articles and political commentaries and things you know, a day, and it's not nearly enough, and I'm not sure what I'm missing, and then pop, something comes up, and maybe I've seen it, but it's a different take. A lot of the times, I haven't seen it, and it's something important to see, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, I, don't know. I, I, I got a question for you guys. Or maybe it's a maybe it's a statement. Um, I think I figured out why this show is so successful. <clears throat> why the Barge Logic show is so successful? Because it's what Kelly. happens is, it's what? It's you. Yes, it, yes, it's Kelly. Yes. No, it's not me. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see, see, I I I violate yeah. the eighth every now and then. The eighth deadly sin of hogging the microphone. But I think the the secret to the show is Robert. And I think the the real secret, if I was a conspiracy theorist, is that Robert starts the show and then he falls asleep. And that's why he's so successful. Because everybody is, you know, just blah, 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 and he falls asleep. So uh, that's the secret to success is radio talk show. I mean, I, I think that's what it is. Kelly, I got one question for you. Oh, hey, good. We haven't heard you for a while. What is what 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 is sleep? <laughs> yeah, really. What is sleep? That's a good question, right there. Well, you're so quiet. We haven't heard from you for a long time. That's why I'm on radio. If you could see the bags on my eyes, you would not think I was sleeping. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, oh, okay. listen. Okay. You know the uh, unofficial motto of the NSA, don't you? It's what? the quiet ones you got to watch. Ooh. By the way, uh, Dan, would you say hi to our? NSA Bob guy tonight? Oh, um, actually, I want to announce to everyone that uh, Bob, which is, of course, an, an apocryphal name for any number of people out there who are government apparatus, uh, you know, part of the apparatus, and they're not necessarily really down with the whole Uber state thing. Um, just in the last month, five different Bobs are now really good friends of mine, and uh, I think maybe one of those Bobs is just pretending, but, you know, hey, welcome, Bob. Welcome to the fight for liberty. And and it's it's a good thing because Bob cares about his family, and Bob cares about, you know, being able to have peace and quiet and being able to afford to buy things. And Bob doesn't like people who mess with his neighbors because Bob doesn't really have anything against most of his neighbors, even that annoying one who likes to mow the lawn at 7 in the morning. Um, Bob's like us. Those, most, There's some bad cops out there. There's some bad troopers out there. There's some bad soldiers out there, bad priests, bad teachers, bad lawyers. Well, there's a lot of bad lawyers, but most <laughs> of them are not bad people. Well, 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 do you know what the problem with lawyers is? It's the ninety percent that make the ten percent look bad. Well, Dan, you know, you know what's amazing here is maybe, maybe you're saying, 
hello, Bob, uh, NSA Bob, how are you tonight? You know, occasionally doing that on the show, maybe you won them over. Well, <laughs> you know, listen, Bob, like anybody else, Bob uh, appreciates uh, humor, so he likes to listen to you, and he, he, he appreciates people who tell the truth. And, you know, he's in a position, actually, to know a little bit more of what's actually going on than most of us, because Bob gets the raw, unedited feed. Bob isn't getting that stuff that's filtered through the mainstream media or through the various websites where people have points of view and axes to grind. Bob's getting the straight and skinny. So Bob has an idea of what's going on, and it's very nice that Bob has been sharing some of this stuff with the rest of us. And uh, Bob, you know, some some people who work for the NSA are voyeurs. It's true. Some of them really, really like to, to, to look and see what everyone's doing. But most of them, they're patriots who sworn oath, who collect a salary, who do their jobs, and who want to keep America safe. And a lot of them are really having a problem right now saying, gee, I can understand why I want to be surveilling this crazy Afghani uh, guy who is, um, you know, Taliban. I, I, yeah, I get that. I, I, I know why I want to be looking at this uh, radical wants to blow everybody up, has a hit list of government officials. Yeah, you know what? I don't have a problem with that either, you know, Bob. Go for it. Um, on the other hand, why why is Bob looking every three minutes at every single person's cell phone in the United States and logging their location? What possible threat is the lady at the supermarket, um, the guy at the office, the fellow who's working on a car, the fellow who's, uh, you know, building a road, well, what threat are they? Are they a potential threat? Are we all a potential threat? Shall we all be rounded up and, and policed? You know, if we can't be trusted... I think we're withered, becoming that. I think we're becoming now, that threat. They want that. If we can't be trusted with liberty, how can we trust people with power? No, they're, they're not worried about us. They're not worried about our... Our uh, fight for liberty. Well, their bosses are. They're they're worried. They're they're worried about us knowing the truth because they want the lies out there. Yeah, but it's your own experience. Well, first Look, of all, go ahead. Harry. I don't know. Go first ahead, Harry, all, and then we'll bring uh, Bill back in. First of all, from the peanut gallery, me. So how much do I know? Not too much more than a peanut, but anyway. The way mm, uh, it appears to me with this snooping, I think that's a farce. I think that the um, uh, snooping on the lady shopping in the stores and all these things about being uh, listened to on the phone and all that, I think I think that I don't think that is even existing. What I think is the snooping and the the monitoring and everything is coming from inside of the network because you can have you can have a post on a, in a group or a, someone's timeline and nothing will happen to that post if somebody doesn't go and open it up and read it and make a comment and how quickly when you open up a post or an article do you get shoved off or you get closed down or music starts too fast for something to travel from the outside of the network and then scrounge the the network to see who's doing what and who's listening to what. It's got to 
it's got to be, in my opinion, inside the network we're being monitored because the way things occur as fast as they do, it makes it, in my mind, hey, where is this coming from, inside or outside? Oh, you're I don't right. understand what I'm saying. Well, hold on, let's get it. Real quick, uh, Cindy, uh, let's go ahead and give Bill an opportunity, then we'll bring you, and then we got a caller on uh, that oh, okay. we're going to bring in um, as well. Uh, so go ahead, uh, Cindy, and then – I'm sorry, go ahead, Bill, no. and then Cindy, and then we got another we got another caller in. Go ahead, uh, just bring Bill. Bi- just bring Bill in. I, I, I really didn't have anything to say. I was just telling her that, you know, I agreed with her, and, and it is on the inside. But go ahead and get Bill. Oh, okay, sorry, Cindy. Go ahead, Bill. Okay, well, um, to Dan's point regarding the uh, um, being active and uh, taking action, um, right now I'm, uh, well, not to pat myself on the back or anything or to uh, boast about what I'm doing, but I am working with the uh, uh, local uh, Wounded Warriors Project. Uh, We're working with uh, an outfit called Stable Hands, where we take uh, uh, combat vets and veterans um, uh, to a horse per- therapy uh, program, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just started equine therapy. Yeah, uh, awesome. it's it's been out well, and uh, I can say for the vets that are there, um, that it has been a, a great improvement in life for it, um, and I can attest for uh, Kelly there to. Uh, his activities uh, are quite zealous, as a matter of fact, I should say, um, and working with the uh, local uh, Tea Party groups. Um, and I'm in agreement with Dan that uh, we need to be a little more active and, and to try and persuade others to be as active as well. Let's go ahead and uh, let let folks know uh, there's only about 10 minutes left of the live portion of the show, uh, but you will be able to uh, listen to the Bard's Logic After Dark or uh, the extended period, as we usually call it, by giving us a call at 347-945-7428 and uh, just push the one on the number dial if you'd like to get in. Uh, Because if you don't uh, call in in about nine minutes, uh, then unfortunately – uh, you will be cut off from hearing the audio of the show, but however, the whole show can be heard in its entirety on the podcast, which will be available shortly after the end of the show. So if you'd like to uh, call in and either listen to the extended period or uh, chime in as well, definitely give us a call at 347-945-7428. And I do see a caller, which I think looks like it's from Washington D.C., our nation's capital, and the only name that this gentleman would give me is Bob. So, Bob, thank you very much for calling <laughs> to the show. How are you? That would be uh, NSA Bob, and it's north of Maryland at the NSA Center. And I just got to compliment Mr. Dan Gray. I, You have won me over. Yes, Mr. Gray, you live at 
X, Y, Z, such and such tree. I I cannot give my address out because there's certain <laughs> progressives that hate you. But you have won me over. You know, some in my office don't like you, but I do because you're friendly. Your wife must love you. Researching your internet file, you do not, absolutely do not search on girly pictures on the internet. So she must love you. You uh, must have a great burn, marriage. Burn. Okay, so there's some men in our office. Well, I'm sorry, but they fall asleep when they listen to you and Bar's logic. So I just wanted to thank you, Mr. Gray, for winning me over, and I'm going to read that Constitution now. That's good. Thank you, Bob. And, and that, listen, first of all, I want to refute a couple of the things that Bob said. Uh, number one, uh, my address is not all that hard to find, and uh, anybody who doesn't like me wants to come to my little town, my little well-armed town with all the little old ladies, or even their arm, looking out the windows and start some stuff. Um, well, all say I can say hello is... hello to my little friend. <laughs> no, what I was going to say is, uh, you know, I got friends with backhoes and stripping pits, um, that's a big holes in the ground. And I'm not worried about that. I'm, I'm not worried about that. The other thing is girly pictures. Okay, fairness. I like to look at pretty girls. And, you know, so I'm not saying anything more than that. Uh, that my wife loves me, she must. She puts up with me after all these years. Lord knows how anyone does that. And the falling asleep part, I would refer any of you to uh, neuro-linguistic programming, which is an extremely useful technique that the other side has been using on us for years. But by the way, you know that every single technique, every single tactic, with the exception of lying through your teeth, which we're not allowed to do, nor do we want to do, every one of those tactics works equally well, whether you're trying to promote um, liberty, like we are, or you're trying to promote statism, whether you're trying to promote a commercial entity or a political idea, it works the same. There's a reason why they spend that much money on commercials and that much time to put them on. Because oh, oh I'm sorry. I, NSA Bob here again. I must go. Agent Smith is coming towards me. And I cannot be seen listening to Bard's logic. Uh, bye. Yeah. Thank you, Bob, for coming to the show. I hope you're uh, still listening, or at least uh, we'll be listening to the archive. Uh, we, of course, would love to have NSA Bob back on the show, and uh, we are looking forward to hearing from him again. And by the way, Bob, I do... I, That's I'm, great news, Dan. Uh, you won him over. Well, I know, but I was upset when the cross-dressing crazy people um, went to the NSA exit only off the uh, whatever I, whatever that is down in Fairfax, and they, they tried to crash the gate. That was That was extremely upsetting. But I was very glad that nobody tried to blame that on the Tea Party for a change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So Speaking anyway. of that, let's go ahead and get to one of our topics tonight uh, that we were going to discuss. And I mentioned it briefly. And uh, Here's a segue. Bevan uh, talked a little bit about it, but just, just something I find interesting. And uh, Kelly on the line, no, I'm not trying to make this into the Bard's Logic Bible Hour again. But it's uh, definitely a topic that I'm sure is important to uh, many of the listeners on the show, uh, and the, you know, listen to the archive as well. Is the freedom of religion bill that's going on in Indiana, and I think Arkansas has one as well. Of course, uh, 
it's even made national news. It's been on CNN. Uh, I think it's natural. I was hoping to have more audio clips uh, for tonight. I, I have a couple that I could have prepared to uh, to play for folks, uh, especially when it comes to the backtracking on that. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, get you, Cindy, to, uh, and, and see what your thoughts are uh, on that, and then we'll we'll move things around. Go ahead, Cindy. So have you heard much about that, by the way? Maybe I should have asked that, too. Uh, are you talking to me? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I was. I'm talking to you, process, Cindy. <laughs> I was in the process of fooling with my phone here, my my earplugs and stuff. Um, <clears throat> well, um, I'm I'm with uh, Matt on that. That's my opinion. Is what Matt's was is that the media is purposely blowing it out of proportion to try to make us look even, uh, you know, more far right than what we are and um, radical and extreme and all of that. They're just trying to make it, build it up, make it look like, um, you know, anybody who wants religious freedom is a a bigot because they don't really want freedom for anybody else but themselves. But that's that's the Muslim position. That's what that is. Um, That's not the Christian position. Um, Christians, as I I, I spoke about this a couple weeks ago, I think, um, Christians don't have any intention of trying to force anyone to believe what we believe about God. Um, and uh, we would never force Except ourselves. My sister. Go ahead. And we would never <laughs> force ourselves. Like if I wanted a cake made for a wedding and uh, I went to a, a gay guy, a gay baker, and I said, uh, you know, make me this cake. And he said, no way. I'm not working for no Christian. I'm not working for no Christian. I'm like, fine. I'll see you later. I'll go find somebody else and <laughs> take my business. You know, uh, I don't know why they see, they feel like they have to force people um, in, into accepting their their um, relationship. And that's basically what this this um, this ruling is about. Is um, right. it, it mostly affects? It mostly affects the the way the gays have uh, been so militant and uh, just in your face, you know, forcing us to accept them. And um, and, and the thing is, I, I, I'm willing to to get along. I'm, I'm willing to uh, say, hey, I'm not going to get in your bedroom. You don't get in mine. That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, but why why do you want to force me to work with you when I don't want to work with you? Uh, you're not going to force me to work with, um, you know, anybody who I don't like. If I think you're argumentative and you're you're a blowhard and and you're no fun to be around, really, really, I'm not I'm not going to do business with you and I'm not going to hang around with you. Okay, if I don't like you for some reason, I'm not going to be around you. Um, that doesn't mean I don't care about you. Uh, I care about your future. I care about your health. I care about all the, I, I If I'm not comfortable being around you, I'm not going to be around you. And um, for you to force your way into my life, I think that's just, uh, that's just going too far. And when I try to follow the laws that my God put down in writing for me to follow, 
uh, and then you don't let me, I have a big problem with that. And basically, um, I'm with that lady out there, Utah. I'm, I'm willing to close a business rather than reject the principles that my Lord laid down for me to um, follow. Um, well, well, my, well, well my, my point, my contention is, Cindy, is, and, and everyone here, especially the regulars on the show, know, you know, pretty much what my you know, religious affiliations are, things of that nature. Uh, but the thing with me is I don't like the idea of two things. One, one is, yes, I mean, if, you know, I'm not a religious person per se, but to force someone who is to do something that's against their beliefs, you know, I'm, I'm totally against that. And two, you know, there's talk about boycotting Indiana and things of that nature. And I think there's even uh, some businesses out there that are threatening to do so uh, because of this law. Um, which I find, you know, utterly ridiculous. And I think, you know, trying to use that kind of, you know, pressure to be brought to bear in order for people to be politically correct. Now, frankly, I, you know, as you, you know, pointed out, is I don't care what people do in their, their, their bedroom per se. You know, someone wants to be with a guy, wants to be a guy, girl, big girl, whatever. You know, that's, that's their thing. Um, you know, and I personally don't have any kind of problem with it. You know, and I don't even, I wouldn't even go as far as say, at least in my worldview, I don't even think, you know, say there's any kind of, because it's just those two people involved, any kind of uh, moral wrongness to it. I wouldn't even go as far as to say that. Uh, but my part is that gets me upset is when they do try to force people who do, uh, or who do not, I should say, rather, uh, agree with their lifestyle to, you know, pretty much force them to have to, uh, you know, deal with it, even if it's in their business. Yeah. Well, you, you can't. If if you don't have religious freedom in your country, then every other freedom that you think you have is gone also. There's there's no getting around one freedom or another. They're all there in the constitution. And um if 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 you if you allow this one to go by the wayside and, and get you know, our freedom of, of speech is affected by this also. You cannot stand in a pulpit today as a preacher and uh, say that say that homosexuality is a sin if uh, you can't do it without any repercussions. That is, if you're from a large church. The preachers in small churches, they don't bother them too much. But if you're a preacher in a large church and, you know, you're videoed or you're taped and, and – uh, somebody hears you say those things, they can actually take you to court and say that's hate speech. And that's just ludicrous. You know, here's the thing. Uh, it's a constitutional issue, and it works. it's supposed to. It has to cut both ways. Whether the issue is a religious issue or a moral issue or an economic issue or just a an interest issue that people have an interest in something uh you have every right under the first amendment it with the you have the right period forget the constitution for a moment. the rights exist first folks you've got them whether you believe in god and giving them to you or you just think they're natural rights that all human beings have you have the rights you have the right to speak you have the right to associate you have the right to to believe as you wish but it has to work both ways. The government's job, the Constitution, does not apply to private citizens. 
It applies to the government. It says the government shall not. It doesn't say the government grants, the government approves, the government will give you a license, the government lets their friends do this, but not the people they don't like. It says the government shall not interfere with you when it comes to your right to say what you want to say. So if you want to say that homosexuality is not a good thing, you have the right to say it. Guess what? Somebody else has the right to say it's the best thing in the world. And you can tell them to F off, and they could tell you to F off, or maybe you could get to actually sit down and have a, a good constructive con- uh, conversation, or maybe you're just going to agree to ignore each other. Whatever you decide to do, the government has no right to step in until somebody starts hurting somebody else about it. Now, if you're going to deny basic services in a business that's uh, something where people don't have a choice, Okay, you're sick. You're at the hospital. You don't have time to get to another emergency room. They can't say, I'm sorry, we're not taking white guys today, black women today, Hispanic uh, transsexuals today. Go somewhere else. So absolutely, that's a harm. The government should step in and say, whoever comes to your emergency room, you will treat them, period. On the other hand, a wedding cake or lawn equipment or a musical instrument. These are not necessities that you must have right then and there that you can only get at one place. So if, and, and we've had some examples like this in the, in the marketplace. Um, Starbucks did something recently politically. A lot of people liked it. A lot of more people didn't like it. Um, Chick-fil-A did some stuff. A lot of people liked mm-hmm. it. Not so many didn't like it. But regardless, that's the, the, the true thing there. Now, it, it, there was a, an article, and I... I really didn't catch what state it was, but um, some people went around into bakeries that were owned by gay folks and said, we want a cake that says marriage is between one man and one woman. They refused. Under the current laws in a lot of states, they'd be in trouble if there was equal um, prosecution of these alleged hate crimes or civil rights violations, which they aren't. The fact is, if you go to a gay bar, okay, or a gay um, bakery, because that's who owns the place, and that's who likes to hang out there. They have the right to say, we don't want to put that on a cake. Now, I think they're fools not to take the business and please their customers. But if they don't want to put that on there, if you're a black guy who owns a bakery, and somebody comes in wearing a KKK hood and says, I would like to have you put on a cake, ship them all back to Africa and kill the ones that won't go, guess what? You have the absolute right to kick that SOB out of your shop. You don't have to serve them. You don't have to. And here's what happens, folks. If you do that, if you kick the KKK guy out of your shop, I guarantee you you're going to get more business. Not many people like the KKK. On the other hand, if you... If you kick somebody out of your shop because they're gay, the only business you're going to get are from people who agree with you. If you kick somebody out of their shop because your shop because they're straight, the only business you're going to get are from people who agree with you. And don't be surprised if people who don't agree with you decide to uh, exercise the right of free speech and free association by going outside your shop with signs and saying, this guy's a jerk. Don't go and, and give him any business. This is all perfectly acceptable and has nothing to do with the government. I don't Let's like the idea. Go ahead. Uh, let me just finish up real quick. I don't like the idea personally of 
business people being forced to do anything. And I think those business people are awfully foolish if the forcing isn't something, if it's just a question of, you know, somebody wants to, uh, you know, this a, a fellow I know flies the Che Guevara flag. And I have spoken to him about it, as is my right. And he has explained to me why he wants to fly it, and I don't think it's a very good idea. But he's still flying it because I'm not willing to take to interfere with his property and pull it down. And he knows my feelings about it, and that's the end of it. And I can put one up right across the street. Well, he's not across the street from me. I could put one up that says uh, Che Guevara is a big jerk, and anybody who likes him is even worse. And if he doesn't like it, <laughs> I guess he can have a conversation with me. But as long as nobody starts interfering with each other's property or hitting each other over the head, it's none of the government's damn business, and it's not a hate crime. Let's go ahead, and I do uh, have a an audio queued up. Let's uh, see how this uh, plays out, no pun intended. Okay, maybe it was intended a little bit. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, hear this clip. Uh, and I believe this is the uh, Indiana House Speaker and also the Senate President Pro Tem, and that is uh, Brian Bosma, uh, the House Speaker in Indiana, and David Long, the President Pro Tem. So let's listen. to uh, make a public statement this morning is uh, because there were questions asked this weekend about whether uh, the Senate Bill 101 was designed with the intent or would have the effect of discriminating against uh, gay and lesbian users. The answer is no. That's not the intent or the design of the bill. The answer is no. It's not the effect of the bill. And what Senator Long and I are here today to state is to the extent that that might be the effect of the bill, we're prepared to encourage our legislative colleagues to take immediate action to clarify that uh, in every way. What we had hoped for with the bill was a message of inclusion, inclusion of all religious beliefs. What instead has come out is a message of exclusion, and that was not the intent and hopefully not the effect, but to the extent it is, we're intent on writing it. We believe that it's remained as wouldn't support this law if we thought that it was effective to the extent that we need to clarify that by any simple to the law make that clear it's not being passed the law. We want to do what we plan to do. But again, we don't support discrimination against anyone and that law doesn't do that. And never has done has. And I think unfortunately it's been Misconstrued, perhaps misrepresented, intentionally unintentionally. I want to begin to suggest that, but it's very important for people to understand that's not the intent of law. History is being used that way, and won't be allowed to be used in the end. If you just read a media report or you're getting used to your information off of Twitter, you might think this is a bill that specifically allows discrimination against the editor. What it does is it sets a standard of review for courts when. Uh, Issues of religious freedom and other rights collide due to government action. Now, I'll, I'll say this to for the record. Last week, the donor, when he signed the bill, said, I, would, this, I don't believe this discrimination against anyone, and if I did, I wouldn't sign the bill. It would have been helpful if he said that yesterday, clarify what he stands. But uh, the fact that he did, for whatever reason, uh, we're saying the record's training today. I think it raised the spectrum that that was the intent or the effect, and that's one of the reasons we're standing here today. Uh, is to resolve that. 
Yeah, that sound was really bad, Robert. Oh, did it? No, I'm sorry to hear. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Was it uh, the volume, or what, what was the, uh, bad on that, or just it, everything? <laughs> it was like cut, cutting in and out, and all distorted and everything. It sounded yeah, like he was gurgling something in a gay bathhouse, actually. <laughs> oh wow. Oh good. Oof, we are in Bard's Logic after dark. That's after uh, dark. Oh that's, Dan. That's good. Dan, Dan, Dan. I could help myself, but I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, you know, I gotta try to get these uh shows featured here and I don't know if everyone's gonna be able to do that. Uh, <laughs> what's our Bard's Logic after dark? Um but it looks like uh we don't have uh, Bill on the line anymore, so I wanna thank Bill for coming to the show tonight. Definitely uh, be able to listen to the rest of the show in the archives, and to uh, of course share the link in, in the podcast uh, for the folks can hear our um, conversation with uh, Matt Bevan tonight, and hopefully get some uh, assistance there. Well, they did mention that. Hopefully, you guys heard that part of the clip at least. Uh, it, was, it was something I kind of threw together impromptu. I must apologize for that. Um, I just certainly wish there was more time in the day where I could uh, I could do more with it. Uh, but until uh, I get a, 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 we mentioned earlier, maybe a rich patron uh, so that I could do this uh, full time, then uh, I'll just have to bear with it. Uh, but he did mention, you know, the government, the governor signing it, uh, this bill. So definitely shows how important it is uh, to have the right type of governor, uh, speaking of Matt Bevan, uh, in that chair uh, in the state government. Yeah, you know, here's the thing um, that people forget it's not discrimination. For a private, for you as a private person in your private business or whatever, to decide who you want to do business with, who you want to associate with, you can say I welcome any group into my shop that you want to, even if it's groups you don't like. I know of some businesses in Lehigh County, where this is where I work, um, it's next county over, that welcome homeless people to come in when it gets really cold out, like it was this winter here up north, and some of their customers didn't like it. Because they don't want to go in there and have to be next to some guy who, who is smelly or maybe a little strange because some homeless people have mental issues. Some don't, but uh, it's it's a problem. And you know what? He had his uh, conscience override those concerns of those particular customers. And he figured maybe they'll come back when it gets a little warmer or they'll take a look in the window and decide, you know, it's okay. I'll come in anyway. But he gained an awful lot more customers because people realized that here was a person who was willing to give coffee and some donuts and some warmth, you know, to some people to keep them from freezing to death. And that's an awfully compassionate thing that he didn't need to be forced to do. And it didn't require a government program with a government inspector and government rules and government fines and uh, taxpayer finance to make it happen. All it took was a person who decided he wanted to do something. And some people didn't like it and some a lot more did, thank goodness, because it was a really good thing. So if you decide that you don't want gay people coming into your shop to order a wedding cake, that's your right to do so. I personally don't like it. Um, I don't, I, I'm not endorsing homosexuality. But I'm endorsing caring and love, and if people want to be married, um, I don't know what to say about the gay marriage issue. I don't think marriage is a government business anyway. If they've got, uh, you know, if two people, whoever they are, are committed in any way, and whether it's about procreation or it isn't, because some people don't get married for that reason, that's their business, and really, it's not my business. 
and I can make a comment about whether I think it's a good idea or not, and they can like it or not, and that's too bad if they don't. Um, but I don't think it's the government's right to step in either way. And I personally think anyone who makes that decision is probably going to lose more customers than, than they're going to gain, but that's their business too. And it works in the other way too, because if you tell me that you're not interested in serving me as a heterosexual white male over 50, I'm going to, you know what? I'm not even going to bother protesting. I'm just going to tell all my friends who happen to like me and maybe or people like me, and we're going to go someplace else. Starbucks Starbucks had this crazy campaign that 40% of their baristas, as they call them, their, their servers, happen to be people of color across the, the United States. They're a big multinational corporation. And uh, they said, well, let's have conversations about race. So they kind of have to – they told their servers, this is what we want you to do. Well, guess what? Your boss says we want you to do it. That means do it. So they put these servers who are working for you know, pretty low wages for the most part into a really uncomfortable position and put their customers in, into an even more uncomfortable position that mm-hmm. they really had no intention of. Within two days, it failed, and within a week, the CEO said, no way. And the reason he said no way was not because he thought it was a bad idea. He liked his idea. It was his idea. It's because it wasn't working. <laughs> it was cutting into their bottom line. They weren't selling coffee. And, you know, the, some of these groups out there that have been uh, protesting the Freedom of Religion Act that was passed in uh, Oklahoma, I guess it was, um, it's funny. Google protested it. Google, this huge multinational conglomerate, bigger than anything on the, the face of the earth is, at this point as far as a commercial entity, bigger than all the oil companies, bigger than, than all kinds of stuff. And, you know, it's funny that Google would protest this because guess what? They do business with companies, with countries rather, that execute people for being gay, that murder them, that stone Mm -hmm. them, hang them, shoot them, garrote them, electrocute them, that kill human beings because of their sexual premise. I don't want to do business with people like that. Well, and then, yeah, that sounds. uh... Pretty like uh, hypocrisy to me, doesn't it? Uh, but two points it I want to make. Like one, one, is, well, one thing is kind of, a, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit because it's, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, and we won't we'll spend a lot of time on it. It just, uh, just maybe a yes or no answer from everyone. But you know, uh, one thing that drives me nuts. We, we talk about the homelessness, now, and you know, of course, you see the uh, the homeless on the on the street and things of that nature. And, and they hold their signs. I'm not talking about the ones who, you know, you know, don't try to get money money from the people on the, you know, just standing on a street corner or something of that nature. But the ones that drive me crazy are, or at least their sign drives me crazy. They don't. I mean, their presence doesn't. But when they hold that sign and it says, you know, hungry, give me money, you know, whatever, or veteran, give me money, that's the, that's that part's fine. But at the end, at least here in, in my area, okay, you, they, they always end it. I mean, every single one. I've never seen a sign without this at the very end of the the sign they're holding on the on the corner. And it says "God bless" on it. And the reason that bothers me so much, and maybe maybe it's just me, but the reason that bothers me so much is that I feel like they're trying to use someone's religiosity to get money. I mean, am I wrong on that or what? Because that just—I mean, that's just a pet peeve of mine that just drives me nuts. Like, oh, you know, you know, a disabled veteran, you know, having a hard time with something, you know, please, you know, whatever, give them whatever. 
And then it always said, always, I mean, every sign says God bless at the end. And I'm like, why are you trying to use someone's religiosity to get money from? I mean, does that bother anybody else or is that just me? Well, first of all, if they're telling the truth, it's one thing. And it, whether it offends you or not, don't give them money if it offends you. Tell them you don't like it if it offends you. Uh, I did see a YouTube video that just came out with a uh, fellow who was allegedly homeless. We don't know, but he was he sure looked it. And he was begging on the street. He was wearing military insignia. And a vet mm-hmm. who was in the unit of this fellow was supposedly and started asking him a few questions. It was clear the guy was not a veteran. Now, there was a lot of emotion in that video. Um, I remember seeing that. It is your right. The, the Supreme Court said that the Stolen Valor Act is unconstitutional. I think it's pretty tawdry. I had a real dilemma myself uh, about a week ago, uh, a little over a week. God, the time does fly. Um, about military insignia. But the Supreme Court says it's your right. You want to dress up like uh, you were in the military? Go ahead. I don't think you should have. Uh, I think you should be prosecuted if you try and steal benefits for it, or if you give that, put that on your resume to try and get a job. You shouldn't. You should be fired if it wasn't true. Um, brief story: What a, my dilemma was. A, a friend of mine is a different Marine. Um, I, 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 he means a lot to me, and uh, apparently, I that meant something to him because he offered me his sergeant's bars, and. Uh, that's no small offer. Just monetary value is minimal. It's it's a symbolic, and uh, I, I accepted them great, gratefully. And uh, my question was, could I put it on a biker vest uh, or not? And I put it up there, and a lot of people said, "Yeah, go ahead." Some people said, "No, never." Some people said, "Well, it all depends." Some people said it would be a great conversation starter as long as you're not claiming that you were a sergeant in the right. Marines. And I was never a sergeant in the Marines. So it is a question. Um, and people will be offended by something you do. If you have short hair, they may not like it. If you have long hair, they may not like it. If you have, you know, uh, they might not like it just because they just don't like you. Tough. Who cares? And if this, if they're not harming you and you're not harming them, Live and let live. And if you feel like saying something to them, go ahead and say it. You know? If you were insensitive well, I've never you know, say anything to them. I just economy, I mean Yeah. Well, I just said the thing that bothers me is just it seems like they're trying to you know, oh okay, here's this well, person who, you know, the religious and okay, and part of, you know, the tenants is, you know, giving to the poor, you know, and then says, Okay, look, I'm poor you you're religious give me you know so because because of that you know it's your duty basically to give me money and it just seems disingenuous to me for them to use that as a ploy to get money from people all right bob how about if i said this to you and i know you don't have a lot of money and this is strictly hypothetical because somebody's going to someday going to take this out of contest off for recording and say see look what he said bob <laughs> it's your duty to give me money you have to take some money and give it to me now. Now, your answer, I would hope, is get stuff. I don't have any money. You have no special claim on my money. Show me what you want to do with it. And if I ever come into anything, then I'll think about it. That's the smart answer. But you know, I could say it if I wanted to, and you could tell me what you wanted to about it. There's nothing wrong with that. People, do you watch television at all? I mean, look at the commercials for the crap that they're trying to sell you. They want your money. 
No, I and barely watch TV. Yeah, but whatever. They're trying to use every possible psychological ploy to convince you that this mm-hmm. is the thing you you need to do, you want to do. It's wholesome. It's good. There's an American flag and a pickup truck and a cowboy and a little girl <laughs> in a gingham dress and she's holding daisies for God's sakes, you know. And yeah, the commercials are oh, commercials. Oh my gosh, those doll commercials with those sad, beaten up, mangy dogs for the oh, one place. That's they, the worst. They give, um, give, I, give a, I can tell you about that. My sister in California is a. Uh, she's in the Bay Area, and she is. She no. She don't go there. She is a um, animal rights activist, not PETA type stuff. Just no cruelty to animals and right. And solve their that. problems. Uh, you know. Right, you know, uh, spay, neuter. Um, yeah, just, I'm not for that. But... Don't. Yeah, uh, and and factory farming is horrible, and and you know she's got a serious point there. Um, it's not my big issue, but it's a important issue, and it shows that she's got heart. She's been like that since she was a little girl. It's something that matters to her, and uh, to a lot of people. And uh, those ads with uh, Sarah McLaughlin singing in the uh, arms of the angels, where you see these. Absolutely sad, pitiful, beautiful little <laughs> abused kitties and puppies are for the mm-hmm. ASPCA and the American Society for the Protection of Cruelty to Animals takes your money and they don't have a shelter and they don't give to shelters and they kill animals. If you want to help the animals, if that's your issue or if you just care about it, um, there are local no-kill shelters that take in all animals that feed them. Our local one here has a shoestring budget. It's all volunteer. No one gets a salary. Uh, they spend 99 cents out of every dollar on food, kitty litter, medicine, bleach, dog toys, leashes, um, uh, medicines, all, all the stuff that these animals need. Heat, you know, paying for the heat in the wintertime, uh, fences, kennels and they don't kill any of them and if you want to give your money be responsible give it to an organization that is efficient like that um and yeah you know, aspca has i agree do your research your for one and, yeah, and then I, I like to bring cindy and uh cindy and kelly back in but i was just going to mention one thing is i did a study one time in in, in college we had to do a, a report uh i do some kind of report in college and it just the, the thing I think that got, that bothers me the most is, you know, it's unfortunate, but most of your, and it might not be in the case of your friends, but at least in the study I did, it's the study showed that, you know, the same folks who are animal rights activists, and, you know, I'm kind of there myself, you know, but they also on the same, on the same token were pro-abortion, <laughs> which I'm like, wait a minute, you know, you want, you want us to still start for these poor animals, but you, you think it's this that's organization thinks it's okay to abortion? Yeah, hmm? that, that's that's a conundrum that's a right there. Yeah, makes no sense at all. Either this is this is the thing. Um, if you mean to be uh, compassionate, whether you're a Christian and you want to emulate Christ or or whatever Buddhist, uh, you know, whatever you are, if you want to be compassionate, you don't get to pick and choose who you're compassionate to. You have to be compassionate across the board in the best way you can possible. That doesn't mean you have to destitute yourself and and give everything you have so you have nothing uh, to whoever asks you first. 
It means you have to try and do what you can in this life to try and help others. That's your duty as a human being, in my opinion. If you don't agree, that's your opinion. That's fine. Um, And if you believe in the Constitution, if you believe in individual liberty, if you want the right to do what you want to do with your life and not be interfered with unless you start messing around with other people in a way that they can't protect themselves, guess what? You can't just have that for one group. It's not just for Christians. It's not just for Jews. It's not just for atheists. Guess what, folks? It's for Muslims, too. If they aren't planning to bomb somebody, if they're not shooting up them all, if they're not uh, you know, doing something horrible, and that's most of them are not doing anything horrible, they have the right to their opinions, whether you agree with them or not, and they have the right to peacefully worship any way they want to. And that has to be the same, because if you start picking and choosing, then forget that it's your group that's the winner. The fact is, when you pick and choose, you set up a system that picks and chooses. And if their group happens to win, mm-hmm. you're in deep shit. You're going you're gonna to lose. Uh, go, go ahead, uh, I want to say, go ahead, uh, Cindy, and then we'll bring in uh, you back in, Kelly. Um, what was I going to say? <laughs> oh, um, when a lot of stuff goes by, and then I can't, I can't remember what I was going to go into. Um, when, when, oh, when, when you were mentioning about the guy, the the guy on the street, you know, trying to get your money and saying God bless you, um, in the Christian church, lots of us are dealing with that. Um, and it's kind of like a, a scourge, and it makes us look bad um, that people, there's people on television, there's people on radio, and they're all collecting all this money. I mean, millions of dollars are going to these people, and um, they're no That's more. That's a good point. Yeah, oh, they're man, no more, yeah, they're not. Some of them may not even be Christians, and the ones that are Christians, they've convinced themselves that they're doing something that's right, but it's not right. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that every single one of them is is um, despicable. I'm saying there's a lot of them out there that are despicable, and um, when when we get judged as Christians according to how people see them. And see, that's the thing. They're the ones on TV. They're the ones with all the high profile. Everybody sees them. They don't see us. They don't see me sitting in my little church. They don't know what my preacher talks about or what we do. We don't even pass a plate at our church. We have a money box in the back. If you want to give, throw it in there. If you don't, walk on by it, you know. We don't even pass a plate to where it passes under your nose and everybody sees whether you put it in there or not, you know. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not we're not about that. Um and even though our money box is in the back and nobody's pressured into giving, our church for the size that we are does an awesome job. We we can we take care of ourselves and our bills and we have money to do ministry with and uh, and and we don't even ask for it, <laughs> you know? It's because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But the people who are outside of the faith, 
who are just seeing us represented on television uh, and on the street corner by the panhandler type, um, they judge us by that, and that's not that's not the majority of the church. Um, and you see the difference between me being, you know, one of the regular people on the pew and the Muslim who's regular and on the regular pew at the church, you know, I don't, I don't know if they have pews or not, but the regular Muslim, they don't dare criticize their leadership or anybody, any imam, anybody that might be on TV. They don't criticize anybody um, and they don't hold their leadership accountable. Um, we do in the Christian church. And when we see someone behaving badly, we are happy to tell you about it. Uh, and we don't have any qualms about uh, exposing um, evil in our church or sin in our church. When a pastor runs off with the church secretary, we don't, you know, try to cover it up and hide it. You know, we we, we talk about it and we say this was wrong and we condemn it, okay? Um, now, Christians aren't going around beheading people because they won't convert to Christianity. Um, so we don't have that. Well, not now they're yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> well. Sure, but 1,100 only, years ago. There, there was only uh, there was only a. They're burning people at states and and <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> it's what's terrible well, what they did to have, uh, the, the folks in yeah. Ireland. <laughs> but you did have people in the background saying that that was wrong. You did have people that went up went up against um, the Catholic leadership that was doing that. I mean, that was. The thing is, Cindy, there's there's no group that has a, a monopoly on virtue or evil, just like there's no group that is immune from the temptations of power once it gets concentrated too strongly. That's the whole purpose of our Constitution, is to take I power and spread say, out Dan, widely. Dan, what I'm trying to say is that's not in our Bible. Our Bible doesn't tell us to go out and murder people because they don't convert. It does not tell no, 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 that. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll give you that. When, when, when people say they're Christians and they do stuff like that, bells should go off. You know, this is not a Christian. This is not what our Bible tells us to do. A radical Christian is a Christian who will go to their death testifying that Jesus Christ is their Lord. Um, in the Muslim faith, being radical means you kill everybody who doesn't want to follow your religion. And to me, there's a big difference there. And, yes, we we had people in the Christian church, or they said they were Christians, who decided to take matters into their own hands and be vigilante or whatever they wanted to be, um, and judgmental and pharisaical, okay? But... <clears throat> First of all, the reason that's not still going on is because we had the Reformation and people said this was wrong, okay? A lot about it was wrong. And and we we took back the freedom that Christ gives us. Um, 
and, and the freedom of conscience, the freedom of choice that, that Christ gives us. The Muslims can never take that back because they never had it. Um, and and I, so I don't think, you know, you're not going to see uh, a Christian leader any longer that will, you know, go and just start lopping off heads or putting you in jail because you don't want to follow Christ. It's because it's a relationship thing. Following Christ is not a... Uh, a doctrine it's not a political um it's not a political uh, organization um it's, it's a relationship between you and god and that can only happen if you are willing and it's in your heart nobody can make you do that they can make you say it but they can't make you do it they cannot make you have a relationship with god Kelly, it looks like they kind of uh, almost did it again, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Cindy. Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> I think we still have him. I see him on the. I uh, probably he's multitasking. is. Just, uh, he's he's designing. He may have. He's designing a bridge or something. <laughs> yeah, he's designing a bridge. <laughs> yeah, speaking of designing a bridge. Oh, go ahead. Was that Kelly? We heard them we chime in? No? I guess not. Well, well I was just thinking about uh, Game of Thrones and I thought about designing a bridge. Hmm? I, I got it. I have to go, Robert. So may I just say thank you to all you guys for a great show. Y'all have been extremely informative again, once again, and I always learn a lot mm-hmm. every show. So thank you so very much, and um, God bless you guys. And that's real from my heart. God bless you guys. I know. Have a we know, Sandy. We know it's genuine <laughs> from you. And I'm gonna I'm gonna follow with good night. It's 12:30 here, so um, it's been um, a wonderful show, and it's been wonderful listening and talking to you guys. And hopefully next week we'll be able to carry on another conversation. Yeah, it's good uh, Good to hear from you again uh, I was kind of hoping Kelly could uh, me has been working on something for us For the fifth team right. Um, right. And then it's Kelly's working on something to have come on, Someone come on the 15th And then I did have uh, Our friend uh, Butch I don't know if you've heard anything from him Dan, I've been trying to reach him I've met, left a couple messages uh, From him, I'll I hope he's okay with him. Check in with him tomorrow Yeah give, we're looking Just to, to little, have him on the show. A little background uh, um, for for the folks, uh, and, and uh, he may or may not be a, a, a guest. Although he'd be a very good guest, not only informative, but uh, let's face it, we we have to entertain a little bit. You know, p- people have to like to listen to it. He's very easy to listen to, and he tells a compelling story. Um, I'm not sure whether his lawyers are going to allow him to go on or what he's going to be allowed to say because he has an active lawsuit. Right. Uh, what I am going to say is that there's a major United States city on the East Coast that hired my friend. And he's a fiscal analyst, and he's very good with numbers, smart fellow. He and Kelly would probably get along because they know that, that number stuff. And uh, they asked him, they tasked Actually, him I don't like finding... numbers because no, it ruins my social life. Ah. Social 
<laughs> All right, so I'll just – but we want to hear from Kelly, but let me just briefly let everybody know what happened. Uh, they tasked him uh, in this large eastern metropolitan city with a multi-billion-dollar budget with finding some waste, and you know he found it and found ways to uh, change the funding and bring some money from over here, and, and it was a really well done. Unfortunately, um, this city run by statists uh, has political – stuff going on, and they didn't like the fact that there was a challenge for the first time in many years to the budget that had been proposed that cut some of their favorite programs, specifically dealing with the police, of all things, and uh, began a campaign of harassment and intimidation against my friend that was just over-the-top nasty in ways that you wouldn't expect coming from a city that's allegedly progressive, because they're not, they're statists. Um, and ended up uh, costing him his job and hurting his health. Uh, some of us, very few of us, I am surprised. Uh, it took me a while to realize this. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, after I got through the, the bully years as a kid and I learned that I could stand up to him, I forgot how it felt to not be able to stand up for, the, to, for yourself, to, to, to be hurt by people. Um, I don't care President Obama and the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, sat me down and started to yell at me. I'm going to sit there and look them in the eye and yell right back when it's my turn to talk. And they're going to listen to me whether they like it or not. That's very rare to be able to have that. It's a gift. I, I don't take credit for it. I didn't make myself this way. Um, sure, I've, I've honed it as a skill to some extent over the years, but people are the are people. It doesn't matter how low or how high they are, or how powerful they, they they act like they are. They're they're no better or worse than I am or anyone else in the eyes of God, um, and that's my personal opinion. So I can deal with that schizophrenic homeless guy at work in the exact same manner that I would deal with the governor of this state or the president of this country. Uh, they're people, and I'll look them right in the eye and uh, I'll shake their hand and I'll talk to them like people, and I'll tried in my best to, to work out whatever our differences are if they're willing to work with me. Um, that's fine. But there are an awful lot of people, and I work with this every day, um, who are intimidated, who are browbeaten, who are beat up, who are hurt, who are prey. And you know what bullies are like, whether it's a schoolyard bully or a grown-up thug or somebody with a badge or somebody who doesn't shouldn't have one or somebody in office who miss you like Harry Reid, or you know, there are people out there who are just bullies and they misuse their power. And you know, it's funny, they rarely go after somebody who can stand up for themselves because they're not looking for a real fight, they're looking to beat people up. They like that, so they smell the fear, they smell the intimidation, they see the person getting nervous, they watch them as their blood pressure rises and their diabetes gets worse, and they're you know, all these. They start grinding their teeth at night and all these things that happen to people, and they love it. And that's why if you're anything like I am, if you were built the way I am, and you can stand up to that sort of thing, you have a big responsibility because you've got a rare gift. And you should be using that as a sheepdog to interpose yourself, to step in between the bully and the person who is being bullied. And what I try to do is teach the person who's being bullied how to stand up for themselves, try to support them in defending themselves. But if it comes down to it and they're just not capable, 
then you got to be willing to walk right up to that bully, stick your thumb in their eye, twist it, <laughs> and smile at them and ask them what they mean to do about that. And you got to be willing to take a beating yourself. So, Kelly, um, what about that social life? Well, good night. Well, go ahead. You know, yeah, um, social life. <clears throat> what social life for an engineer? Okay. Um, and by the way, the client called me and I had to switch over because we're trying to. Oh, Bill Riles is high. Uh, again, I saw Bill uh, this weekend. Uh, there was a huge gathering, I mentioned to Matt Bevan, of. Uh, it's an inaugural gathering of Pennsylvania Patriots of various groups. Um, we have like 50,000 in our membership just looking at all the various groups already. One common purpose, U.S. Constitution, Pennsylvania Constitution. And Bill is awesome. And he likes you, Kelly. He says you guys think alike. Yeah, we're engineers and we're cursed with that. Which, by the way, we totally analyze things down to its core. I've spent over a thousand hours studying the water molecule. And by the way, I just happened upon something. Um, oh, oh, wait, wait, before I go into this this thing about the Constitution, this realization dissecting the Constitution or the word Constitution, I, I guess. Um, well, my phone went dead, and so uh, I, I got on before the uh, nine o'clock after dark stuff, and then I heard something about uh, a, a silk voice said, "We are in deep beep." All right, anyway, um, I'm teasing you, of course, Dan. All right, so um, I guess what happened while I was gone? You know, right right before 9 o'clock, oh, did I miss anything? You mean right before midnight? Yeah, Bob called in. Bob who? <laughs> NSA Bob called in. What? Did yeah, you missed NSA Bob. Gosh, this Did happens every him? freaking time. Oh, this happens over and over. Like senators call in and congressmen call in, and now I didn't say Bob, and I didn't even, I, I wasn't on. I, I don't know why this happens. All right. Anyway, hey, listen, Kelly, this is, this is not a criticism. Either. This is not a criticism of your powers of mimicry, but you are an engineer. They have these like voice changing circuitry things that you could use. <laughs> are, are you saying uh, Bob? NSA Bob is busted. All right. Anyway, um, well, now I'm going to change the topic. <laughs> so, um, my buddy in my office here, he, he gave me the idea, and it was this funny thing. And so, anyway, all right. So, we're going to talk about the Constitution, the very word Constitution. All right. Now, it's interesting. The word Constitution. The founders got it right. Hmm. Prefix of con in Constitution. Of course, there is the opposite of con. Had they used the word, had they used Pros, the opposite oh, in in the supreme law of the land, it would be prostitution, which is practically the way things are being done by the politicians of today. I wish wow. the constitution <laughs> would require the politicians of today wear on their clothes patches of all the sponsors that they are in bed with, just like the NASCAR racers then. Then we would know who the clients are of the poly Pickens in this prostitution ring. That's pretty clever there, Kelly. And real quick in <laughs> updates, we unfortunately have about uh, 13 minutes left before uh, the show is completely over, so that means we only have about five minutes before I have to shut things down. Just a little program note I just got 
a email earlier today uh, from a Mark Griffin from the John Burst Society, and so give me some contact information for some folks there. Uh, so perhaps we'll be having uh, one of the officials from the John Burst Society on in the not too distant future. Cool. So anyway, so what we should probably do at this point before I get ready to close things out is uh, give some uh, closing thoughts. It does look like, gentlemen, that we are the last uh, triad here on the show for uh, this evening. So let's go ahead and first uh, go with uh, you, Kelly, and give us a little synopsis of what we're looking forward to for the 15th, and then some closing thoughts uh, with you, Dan, and then I will close things out. Uh, We literally only got about – Two, three minutes each, so uh, let's go ahead, Kelly. If I can get Debbie uh, to Galoopy on the 15th. Um, you would have a social life. <laughs> well, she's female, at least, like, okay, that's a good start. All right, <laughs> anyway, so I went, I went to the local tea party. I need to get, like, a cat, you know, it's just social life. All right, anyway, um, let's see here. Um, okay, Debbie Bajik Loopy, all right? Local tea party. Okay, this girl's coming up. San Francisco. Um, Agenda 21. Yeah, I've heard it. Blah, blah, blah. But she's hot. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. Oh, my gosh. What? <laughs> oh, wow. No, 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 no. It wasn't the, oh, my gosh, wow. It was, of course, she was, like, pretty and kept looking at me. Didn't mean that before. Anyway, but when she explained... Agenda 21 and how deep it is and how they plan this for decades, I'm like, wow, this is frightening. And then you start to think about things like, wait a minute, Agenda 21 comes to the planning department and is the director of planning. Is the director of planning elected in our county? No, it's not. Let's see, the auditor, tax collector, county clerk, sure, district attorney, blah, 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 all elected, but no, this person is the director of planning is not even elected. What in Hmm. the beep is going on here? It's no accident. And so she's going to come on and, um, my gosh, I'm going to even, uh, for this radio program, I'm going to cut my hair, I'm going to shave and take a special shower for this radio program when she comes on because her Research is absolutely stunning. And, of course, did I mention she was hot? Anyway. Um, <laughs> you're, you're making her feel very uncomfortable right now. But she's not listening. Not oh, yet. I know. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So, um, but, yeah, maybe the information research. Maybe hot. Yeah. Maybe so. Well, here's the other problem. See, engineer slash activist, you're pretty lonely. You know, because, like, dude, <laughs> there's more to life. It's like, I know. That's why I joke around in Bar's Logic, because it's fun. But anyway, um, but, yeah, it's – it's. she's going to come on hopefully the 15th, if not the 22nd, and it'll be absolutely stunning what she has to tell you, because I, I couldn't believe she actually bought these books by the progressives. You know, they're, like, four inches thick, and I'm like, what? And, and, and what's her name again, Debbie Bachagalupi. Wow. How do you spell that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, good luck with that. All right. Anyway, 
Um, so the depth that she goes to, and then she brings in real-world examples, you're like, they planned it and they're doing it. So anyway, that's back to professionalism, so I don't... All right, anyway, um, <laughs> did I mention she saw it? Okay, this is after hours, right? All right, anyway, all right. So, yes, uh, so we are still being recorded, Kelly. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's going to be embarrassing. All right, anyway, um, so oh, before I blush, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to quit while I'm ahead. Okay. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I certainly hope that there's a spark there. For, you know, we need new little patriots one day. No pressure or anything. Except you live in San Francisco. Like, hmm. Well, nobody's perfect. My dad lives in San Francisco. Um, you know, here, here, I'll tell you a little funny story. Um, when I tell people my dad... We only got a few just, minutes, so, uh, Dan, just to let you know. Yeah, I, I know. Just it's one of those short stories. I think, buddy. Uh, my mom had passed away, and my dad always wanted to live in San Francisco. He moved out there and discovered that um, even if you are an old, homely uh, guy with no personality, if you're straight in San Francisco, you're pretty much a hot commodity among the straight ladies out there because, hey, you know, it is San Francisco. So uh, it's just something to think about if, you're, if you are lonely and straight you could do worse than going to San Francisco. Of course, you will have to pay a lot in taxes and put up with an awful lot of intrusive government. Um, that's a pretty city. I, I don't know. It's, I like it here on the East Coast. But, but nothing against it. You know, again, personal choice, folks. If the people of San Francisco want to have the crazy kind of city that they have, that's their business. I don't have any objection to them running things their way. I do have an objection if they try and force me to do it. But they can certainly try and convince the people around here that, that we should live this way. Personally, I don't think it's going to work very well. The way things generally work is that those who have success are emulated. You know, 100 people try and invent something. One of them comes up with something good. The rest of them go, well, mine was crap, but maybe I can improve on what that guy came up with or I can market it or I could sell it or I could service it or I could, you know whatever, um, promote it. That's the same thing with ideas in politics. There's an awful lot of ideas out there. And I'm very pleased that unity is finally starting to take root among the constitutionalists. I won't say conservatives. There's constitutional liberals. There's constitutional everybody. And then there's the statists on the other side who don't believe that you have a right to make a choice, that you're too stupid, but that they aren't, that you can't have power over your own life, but they can have power over everybody's life. And those well, I'm, glad people, you didn't, I'm glad you didn't say pro-institution. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, <laughs> those people. And, and on that note, as, gentlemen, uh, we're, we're going to have to close things oh out. Um, just, uh, yeah, let's definitely try to get her on the show. It uh, looks like she also ran for Congress in 2012. So that would definitely be something I would be interested in uh, uh, talking uh, with this. And I also see uh, one of the things she's talked about is energy solutions. So that should be interesting. Uh, so I definitely would like to talk to her on that as well as on Agenda 21. And yes, Kelly, uh, I will reiterate your point that she's not difficult to look at. Um, but be that as it may, let's uh, concentrate on her brain 
and what uh, she would have to tell us here on Bard's Logic Political Talk. And so I want to thank everyone for coming on the show. Thank you, guys and gals. I uh, really appreciate it. We're looking forward to uh, our guests uh, coming up and uh, subsequent uh, topical shows. And uh, it is good to be back. So, folks, of course, if you're listening to this in the archives, uh, definitely share the link uh, with folks. Uh, here are uh, interview with Matt Bevan. Definitely, uh, I think it's worth uh, for us to check out his website at www.mattbevan.com. And if you can uh, give time or treasure uh, to help his campaign, I think uh, it would be very important to get him in office. Uh, and otherwise, I wouldn't even have him on the on the show if I didn't think they had some some good ideas. So we'll uh, end tonight as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubrey, and that's with a B, ashburn.com. And so take care, everyone. Good night, and we will see you next week at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Take care and good night. Good night. Thank mm-hmm. you.